The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 241, for Thursday, September 4th, 2014. Our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number is 347-324-3541. For those of you tuning in for the first time, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Uh, It broadcasts live, of course, every Thursday at 11 p.m. Archives will be available on iTunes, Stitcher, Tune in Radio and any of the other podcast outlets as well. As I said, our call in number 347-324-3541 if you want to participate in any of tonight's topics. All right, so we took off last week. Uh, a couple of reasons for that. Uh, number one, it was leading up to the Labor Day break and our colleagues at GFQ had some problems, so we didn't have a video feed for the evening. Plus, I ended up working late and just coming home and show prep and everything just it just wasn't there so rather than try to rush and put something together and make it just a completely shitty show i figured we'd take the week off everybody could enjoy their labor day and we could start fresh for the month of september so a couple of things we got to get out of the way first before we get into tonight's broadcast first up uh as i mentioned a couple of weeks back my take radio will be switching to two times a week Starting September 17th. Again, September 17th and 18th will be live My Take Radio broadcast. September 17th will be same thing as usual, 11 p.m. start time. And it's going to focus on the MMA and wrestling portion of the show. Gaming, entertainment, and maybe even a little tech we'll throw in there will take over for the Thursday show on the 18th. So make a note of that. My Take Radio will be switching to broadcast twice a week starting September 17th. Uh, With regards to audio and video, everything as of right now is pretty much the same as it has been. There will be a video feed. There will be an audio feed. If that should change before September 17th, of course, I will let you guys know. But as of right now, all signs point to uh, my take radio two days a week, Wednesdays and Thursdays. Uh, Like I said, Wednesday night broadcast will cover the wrestling and MMA portion of the show, which works out well. Uh, SmackDown is moving to Thursdays. Uh, Impact is on Wednesdays. And, of course, NXT, which is on Thursdays as well. But we don't really recap NXT 
as much or SmackDown because it's taped. But in any event, we will definitely uh, try and cover most of the happenings from the Thursday airing all the way to Tuesday. So a couple of reasons why I'm doing this. If you guys haven't heard the shows before, it's just incredibly taxing on myself mentally and physically to edit three and four hour broadcasts on a weekly basis, especially when there's a lot of stuff that has to be edited out of the video portion. Plus rendering time for a three hour show is just incredibly long, um, especially a three hour show that renders in real time. Even with my new computer, um, it renders a three hour show renders in two and a half to three hours. So that's two and a half to three hours that I can't use the PC while it renders. Uh, The intent is that by doing it this way, we could probably split the show into two 90-minute broadcasts, maybe a little shorter, depending on the news for the week. And that will be, like I said, the new direction going forward. Uh, A couple of things I want to get into, as many of you know, we have officially launched Rageworks. Uh, Rageworks will serve as the parent company for My Take Radio and some of the other ancillary products and brands that we have under our umbrella, including uh, the Rageworks Radio Network, which will have, of course, My Take Radio, MTR Behind the Mic, MTR Beyond the Mic, The Buried Show, and a couple of other surprises that we are working on as well. Uh, The Buried Show is on season hiatus. Those guys will be back in action uh, probably in December before the year goes out, unless they plan on doing a special show and then starting a new season in January. But as of right now, the first season of The Buried Show, of course, is in the war is in the books and those guys are in school right now but rest assured they will be back so for those of you that are fans of the buried show and by the numbers that i've been seeing uh, there's definitely quite a few of you rest assured the guys did not leave you high and dry even if the season finale did point you in that direction of course that's a good misdirection from those guys with regards to that mtr behind the mic and mtr beyond the mic will be getting uh, more episodes going forward. We got a lot of different guests lined up to fill in a lot of spots over the next couple of weeks. And of course, those shows going forward will be accessible to the public as we are working on switching uh, the official My Take Radio app from a paid app of $1.99 to a free app. So that's something else that is in the works. But as I said, Rageworks is pretty much going to be your number one source for all our gaming MMA, wrestling, technology, you name it. It's going to go under RageWorks.net. MyTakeRadio.com will handle our on-air presence, meaning uh, all the shows, everything is going to be there, our live players, everything is going to be front and center on the site, and that's how it's going to be going forward. We plan on redesigning MyTakeRadio.com probably this weekend, hopefully, schedule permitting, to make it look more like Rageworks. That way, both sites look the same. Uh, One other thing, probably the following weekend, uh, the weekend of the 12th, we may be switching hosting for Rageworks.net, so the site may have an occasional outage over the weekend, but in any event, figured you guys would know that as well. Uh, With regards to Rageworks, also social media presence has changed. Uh, My Take Radio's Twitter is still active, at My Take Radio. But uh, Rageworks is pretty much going to be the main Twitter. It's at Rage underscore Works. Just because somebody is sitting on the Rageworks name for the time being, we're going to have to go with that. As for Facebook, facebook.com forward slash official Rageworks is where you'll be able to keep up with us on Facebook as well. 
All right, so a couple of things also. YouTube channels will remain the same. Rageworks has its own YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash official Rageworks. My Take Radio TV will remain active as well for our shows. So now that we got all that housekeeping out of the way, I did want to touch on a couple of other things that happened this week. Uh, we, I did go yesterday to the Samsung launch for the Note 4 and the Note 4 Edge. Plus, we got to see Oculus uh, make their debut on the Samsung platform with the Gear VR. I'm going to get a little bit into that in our gaming segment. And a um, couple of product reviews we're working on. We're working on a Gear Fit review, which should be on MyTakeRadio.com. We're doing that in partnership with our friends at Royal Flush Magazine. Uh, also, make sure to keep an eye out for our write-up for the Samsung event. It's got photos, videos, everything that we got to see from all the Samsung products that we checked out yesterday. So be on the lookout for that as well. Um, I put up our review for As Above, So Below, which pretty much was not a good movie in the least. Uh, you are better served watching that movie on cable or as a rental, but feel free to check out our review on RageWorks.net as well. Okay. I received one email, no, not an email, but a message from uh, the spouse of one of our listeners for a charity event that she is organizing, which is pretty cool. And um, there's a lot of personal stuff in the message that I got, so I'm not going to go into it too much. But um, definitely, I know the listener is in the chat, and I will be sharing uh, the link and the information for that in the show notes. I didn't want to put that guy, that person's business out there. It would just seem a little out of place, but... Make sure to check out the show notes and also the notes on RageWorks.net and MyTakeRadio.com so you can get all that information as well. But with that with that out of the way, let's get into some of tonight's topics. Where Ben's going to be joining us to talk MMA. We got UFC 177 last weekend, which was a complete clusterfuck. And then all of a sudden, it redeemed itself with some really good fights. Uh, the UFC takes over. Uh, tomorrow and also Bellator go head to head tomorrow as well. So we got two great cards on deck. Ben's going to be joining us for that. And um, of course, we're going to talk about Monday Night Raw, which considering how terrible last week's broadcast was, it's really, really imperative that I get into Raw this week because I was a little bummed that I couldn't do the show last week because last week's Raw was abysmal. There was nothing good that I could pull out of last week's Raw. Even our three R's of wrestling, uh, three R's of Raw column, which you guys may or may not have read, uh, it, it, it was as bare bones as could be. I, I mean, the, the highest point for me was pressing delete on my DVR for last week's bro- Raw broadcast. I was really, really disappointed in in just every aspect, the, the writing, the matches, just really, really piss poor. But this week wasn't as bad, and we're going to get into that. We're going to get into the week's wrestling news. Uh, we got a lot of gaming stuff to talk about. In addition to that, we got a pretty a pretty big helping of entertainment news for this week. I do want to touch on the passing of Joan Rivers, and um, I have my own thoughts on that, and I'll get into that in the entertainment segment. Mortis, I feel you. Last two weeks of Raw have sucked. Three weeks ago was good. <sighs> this week wasn't as bad, but I'm, I'm there with you. Um, in any event... Let's get into the week's MMA news, and we can get that ball rolling, shall we? (music) 
My Take Radio's MMA segment, as always, is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get all your favorite fighter tees, training gear, accessories, and so much more by heading over to MMAWarehouse.com. You can find their banners on MyTakeRadio.com as well as on RageWorks.net. As always, using the banners on the site helps us out and allows us to keep adding and improving the show as best as we can. Again, our sponsor for this week is MMAWarehouse.com. All right, so I believe Ben is probably queued up, if I'm right. Ben, is that you? Yeah, that's me, man. What's going on, brother? How are you? I'm good. How about you, man? Things have been a little crazy, but um, glad to be back this week. Everything is uh, it's running on all cylinders. MMA has been a complete, complete madhouse in our absence, and I want to get into... Of course, UFC 177. Now, before we pluck out some of the fights, what did you feel going into this card considering, um, you know, Henry Cajudo couldn't make weight, Hen and Burrell, like, almost died? <laughs> it was just complete disaster. Let's let's talk about that first before breaking down the matches. When you heard about these announcements, how did you feel? What did you think was going to happen with that card? Um, I, I, was, I wasn't surprised they didn't cancel it, um, mostly because it was so late in the process of canceling and about a refund and everything they would have to do. And it would be, you know, two, two cancels in like a couple of weeks. Um, I did think it sucked for the UFC because do no, no fault of their own. This card has gone. It, it went from being the John Jones out there, the Gustafson card, yep. to a card with two title fights to a card with one title fight to a card with one title fight with a dude that had never fought in the UFC before. Um, Henry Cajudo missing weight is not that surprising if you know anything about Henry Cajudo. Um, he's kind of, he's a flake. He has yeah. been one since he won a gold medal. Um, he, he, he just doesn't seem to be motivated to do much of anything. And it, it's really bad that, bef- like, he didn't even make it to the scale before having to go to the hospital. Like, it, that, that says something about his weight cutting process. And Hannibal Wow. I don't know what it is with the guys at Nova now, but none of them seem to be able to cut weight. Yep. Uh, uh, Jose Aldo is constantly in hell trying to cut weight. They had a fighter that was a Nova Union fighter die actually last year. From Well, he had a seizure, but it was due to cutting weight. Um, I don't know what it is with those guys over there, but it's crazy. Like, I saw a video of Hannibal Al the day before the fight. He was 157 pounds. That's there is crazy. No way, there's no reason you should be that big the day before you fight at 135. No, it's, it, it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane, and I, and I share your sentiments. I mean, cutting weight is one of those things where it's a very, very, um, it's a very stressful process for the body. And on top of that, um, Gilbert Smith, who many of you may know, was a guest on the show and was a, uh, a, a competitor on The Ultimate Fighter. He shared an interesting article about weight cutting about dropping 11 pounds and as i read the article and i read through the science of the article between um you know putting abilene on your skin and then putting on a sweatsuit or putting on sweatpants and the process with that or doing the salt bath with the epsom salt in the hot water and pulling out all the excess moisture there's there's a lot of there's a really really intricate science on cutting weight especially in a safe way for fighters and to see these guys like you said guy was 157 pounds before the way you know a day before the fight 
to cut down to 135, it is an incredible shock to the body. It is a, it is an incredible shock to the nervous system. And I think I think I'm going to have to maybe talk to some of the uh, the medical professionals we've had on the show and maybe bring them on so that we mm-hmm. can talk about that at length because the process is just it's it's insane. I mean, even trying to lose weight normally is an incredible discipline you know between diet structure um cutting calories making sure that you eat the right foods it's a it's crazy that these guys are that heavy going in and i you know i'm sure dana white was just incredibly upset the guy passed out i believe he hit his head i've heard a couple of stories about that it's like it's like are you crazy dude are you crazy that you're gonna die for this cutting weight and you're gonna die to get a title fight it's insanity yeah it's and I don't, I don't see how he planned on winning that fight. Like, Seriously, <laughs> like if, if you're fighting to make weight, like yep. that's not the, that's not that shouldn't be the hard part. I agree, a hundred percent. There should be that should not even so. be the name of the game. You know, the name of the game should be cutting weight healthy and being in there to to perform. I mean, a lot of people they talk about you know Mike Dolce mastering the weight cut, but. Regardless of whether it's an endorsement of his abilities or not, every guy that Mike Dolce helps cut weight cuts weight clean. Like there's a science yeah, to he it. Yeah, the process. Like they, they're, they're a lot of these guys. The ones that do it correctly, they're, they're they. First of all, they don't blow up between fights because nope. I heard Hannibal Brown got as high as 180 pounds Fuck that. between fights, which is ridiculous because I think he's like five foot six. <laughs> um, Dude, I'm ridiculous. Fi- um, I'm gonna give you a crazy statistic. Huh? I'm gonna give you a crazy statistic. I am five six. Yeah, I weigh two hundred and forty four mm-hmm. pounds. All right. Now, I yeah. at two hundred and forty four pounds. If I wanted to cut to two twenty five, it would be a process. You know, to cut to cut to fight at, or even to cut if if I was to, if I was to be you know fight professionally, I have to cut down to two hundred five. You know, it would be it would be it would be a process, you know, because for me to cut to 205, it's 40 pounds. And everybody's like, yeah, 40 pounds. It's not too bad. It is when you start getting closer to that fight and that dial is not moving on that scale. Yeah, like I wrestled in high school and I wrestled. Well, I'm far bigger than I was in high school, but like I wrestled in high school at uh, 130, 130. Um, and I never got the. T- the, the difference between wrestling and MMA fighting is like you wrestle every weekend. Right. But even when I was out of season, I never got bigger than 150 pounds. Like I, I just didn't. And that was just to keep my body from going into shock. Right. From having to drop all this weight. And that's what happened. That, that's what happened to Anthony Johnson. That's why he ended up, it, it's, it's still insane to me that this man is a huge uh, light heavyweight. Right. I was fighting at 170 and struggling to get there. Like the the strain that puts on your body when you do that, it it, it outweighs whatever benefit you get from being bigger. Well, I got a question for um, you. Given, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. my my question for you is: given that you wrestled, there's always an old trick where they say that you should wrestle at a weight class or or two above your natural weight because it makes the cut easier. Do you believe that? Do you feel that that's a, uh, an appropriate answer? And given that, you know, an, an appropriate strategy, and do you feel that that is probably how MMA fighters should approach it as well? Um, it, the, the cut is easier if you, you only got to drop a, a few pounds. Um, right. you, you never want to cut 
like I, I'm, this is just from my coaches. Like they never wanted to cut more than fifteen to twenty pounds, and that might have been because we were teenagers. But right. um, and also like you, you, we started cutting like as soon as because the season starts, but you don't actually have a match for a while. Um, as soon as from Jump Street, you're already cutting weight. And I think a lot of these fighters, which is crazy to me because a lot of these fighters used to be wrestlers, um, they don't start cutting until they're about to fight. Yep. And, like, part of your training camp should also be going ahead and cutting weight, like cut down. So while you're training, you get to a certain weight. And then maybe the day before, you're, like, two or three pounds over. All you got to do is put on a sweatsuit and run it out. That's so, it. um it, it, it's just insane to me that you have a whole gym of, you know, uh, Nova Unyao that just don't know how to cut weight. Like, they just have this huge... Uh, Ronnie Marks used to be, or is in that gym. He has weight-cutting problems. Like, they, none of them know how to cut weight. Nope. It, and it's and it's crazy to me. And, and you know, it, it, it's funny because a couple of guys were sharing pictures of, like, Cain Velasquez and John Jones, you know, off-season, so to speak, you know, in between fights. And, they, you know, they, 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 they look healthy. You know, they're enjoying not training but again these are guys that when you're at that level at the championship caliber level you dial it in you know what i mean like henan barrow dude you're a, you're supposed to be a pro you were a champion you know what i mean like that's not a question of inexperience or a lack of strategy it's the fact that you you know how this game is played and that's the crazy part yeah, to and, me and i guarantee you tj dillashaw didn't go at 180 pounds Nope. I guarantee you he didn't get that big. Nope. At worst, he might have got out to 150. Yep. And it's funny. I'm glad we're talking about weight cuts. One of the fights I wanted to talk about, Derek Brunson, who's always an exciting fighter, uh, he took on Lorenz Larkin. He mm. beat Lorenz Larkin via decision, via unanimous decision. It was a pretty good fight. Brunson looked really good. And Lorenz Larkin went on Twitter and said that he's dropping down to 170. So, you know, this weight cutting business is really starting to become a big problem for these guys. Here's the the thing that I hope fighters don't do. A lot of fighters seem to think that the remedy is okay. I'll drop a weight class. If you can't make that weight class, and it kind of eliminates the purpose. Yep. Um, if you can't make it and still be be you, um, Lorenz Rockin probably can. He 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 seems kind of not bulky, but he he seems like he can drop some weight, and that that's fine. But like dudes, like um, <clears throat> George Roop before he um. Before now, like he's at 135 now, but when he was at 135 in WC, he looked sick like all the time. Yep. Um, <clears throat> that was an unhealthy weight cut for him. Um, it's just it's not always a good idea to drop that ex that extra weight because it doesn't really do it doesn't eliminate anything for you. Like nope, it I doesn't. Just, it, it. Go ahead. No, I said I agree with you. It doesn't. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe I don't think that's particularly his problem. But I, I mean, I would love to see him at one seventy. See what he does at one seventy. But I don't think that's really his issue. But yeah, you know, you know what's happening with a lot of these guys. The the caliber and and we had a discussion about this. Me and one of my coworkers. The caliber of competition is increasing at such an exponential rate. Like there's MMA gyms everywhere. There's guys coming into into the game. From gyms you haven't even heard of. There's guys coming into the game. I mean, uh, Uriah Hall's a good one coming out of Tiger Showman's. Who would have thought that, you know? Mm -hmm. Ber uh, karate birthday party school all of a sudden is cranking out dudes that are legit hitters. You know what I mean? And with that, 
the caliber of uh, of athlete is tra- is changing the caliber of training is changing even even the the training in terms of approaching fights has evolved so much like in the old days it would be yeah you go in you train monday with your boxing coach tuesday with your wrestling coach thursday with your conditioning coach friday you know you rest and saturday and sunday you hit it again it's not even like that like now there's like legit science you got a muay thai coach you got a boxing coach you got a bjj coach you got a wrestling coach strength and conditioning dietitian you see what i mean like it's crazy now yeah uh, one of the cool things about a fighter like jordan mean and a fighter like um warren mcdonald is they didn't grow up in in that time that you were talking about earlier where yep. it's like you were doing this this and this they grew up learning how to do MMA. That's and right. that's why, I mean, Jordan Mean isn't as good as Roy McDonald, but that's why the two of them are so well-rounded is because they grew up doing the sport of MMA. Like, they weren't strikers that learned how to grapple. Nope. Or grapplers that learned how to strike. So it makes you a better fighter. Um, but, you know, different type of athlete is coming to MMA. Um, and you're getting guys like John Jones, who probably could have been an NFL player. Hell, I just saw his his little brother yep. not too long ago playing for the New England Patriots. Like, that is crazy. Like, that's that's the same bloodline. That's that caliber athlete that's in, right. in, 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 in MMA right now. So it, it's really cool to see what um, in the future is going, the sport's going to look like. Well, I want to talk about um, the Yancey Medeiros-Damon Jackson fight. Uh, beautiful finish by Yancey Medeiros. Reverse guillotine in the second round. What a there was just beautiful technique in that fight. Really, really great performance by Medeiros. Uh, definitely a, a dark horse at one fifty five. Yeah, um, that that was I thought it was almost a bulldog joke, but uh, it, it was that was a good fight. Um, it was good for him to finally get a win. I know his first one was taken away for uh, smoking weed, uh, <laughs> but uh, and then he lost I think to Jim Miller. Uh, yeah, so it was good for him to get a win. Um, that was a really cool choke. Um, it's kind of unnerving when you saw the dude twitching on the ground. <laughs> little scary, um, little bit. But, uh, yeah. So what? I said it was a little scary. I was like, oh, that guy is, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was a little, a little happy, a little worried there for a second. But, uh, yeah, Yancey looked good. He, he, it's crazy that he, he used to be a heavyweight. <laughs> Which is insane, <laughs> that, again. That is insane. He, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's cool to um, cool to see him have developed under the um, Diaz brothers and into a pretty good fighter. Well, it was after Yancy Madero's kind of got the ball rolling. Diego Ferreira, Ramsey Najem, Ramsey Najem got put to sleep uh, by Diego Ferreira TKO in round two. Uh, really good technique. Ferreira definitely not playing. Um, you know, to close out the first round, going for that knee bar, and he used it in the sweep. Just beautiful, masterful technique in that fight. Yeah, um, Ramsey in the gym is an extremely flawed fighter. Like that chin, <laughs> that chin is terrible. Um, he 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 gets touched and it, it's a wrap for him. Um, and also, he doesn't actually he he doesn't fight in a way that protects it. Um, right when he got knocked out, is because he was charging forward with his head straight up in the air and his hands down. That's, that's right, gets you knocked the hell out. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, Ferreira looked good. Um, he's, he's a problem on the ground and if he can generate that kind of power going backwards and knock out, knock people out, he, he looks like he can be a good fighter at 155. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was truly impressed. And then the ladies, uh, Shayna Baszler, Beth Carrera, uh, Beth Carrera is not playing this chick. She said, I'm taking out the four horse women one at a time. And it was funny. Cause when she, 
after she beat Shayna Baszler, she was like, oh, well, what about Marina Schaefer? She's like, I ain't worried about her. She's like, Ronda Rousey, I'm coming for you. And I was like, well, all right. Like, that's the, like, it was cool to see because more often than mm-hmm. not, the ladies, you know, oh, it was a great performance. I, I did really well. She's like, nope, I'm coming for you. And I like that. I like that fire. You know what I mean? And, you know, Dana White was saying, Ronda Rousey texted him after the fight was over. He's like, yo, I want that fight. And she was, he was like, chill, pump your brakes. <laughs> he was like, chill, I'm trying to get paid here with you and Gina. You better fall back. Yeah. Um, Beth Correa looked good. Um, Shayna Baszler, um, unfortunately, she won the Pioneers of Female MMA. And unfortunately, the, the game's kind of passed her by. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say that. Uh, Beth Correa looked good. Um, that 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 ending salvo of punches and, and knees and everything, uh, she ain't doing that to Ronda Rousey, um, <laughs> like at all. <laughs> like it, it ain't gonna work like that. Like it, 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 hell, Shayna Baszler. Even if Shayna Baszler had her wits about her, could have circled out from the cage. She just for some reason was just I'm going to stand here and get punched. And well, she likes to elbow. do that. She likes to um, do that. She likes to do the Don Fry, that, huh? She likes to do the Don Fry. I'm just going to sit there and start wailing until one of us goes to sleep. Yeah. It's like, nope, you don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah, like, clearly, she could have just circled out to the left, and she just wasn't moving. Um, but, yeah, Beth Correa, um, I'm sure that she'll fight Ronda Rousey eventually and get on bar very quickly. Because um, I, I, her her whole style, that's that's not going to work. You, you have to be able to hurt Ronda Rousey like with one punch, like yep. not, you can't, you're not going to throw a million. You're not going to get the chance to throw that many punches. Well, you know what, what I, what got me was that Shayna Baszler almost caught her with the Japanese necktie in the first round, right before the fight ended. I was like, all right, you know, that, that's what's up. And then all of a sudden she went full rock'em sock'em robots. It looked, it looked like, like a fight out of Pacific Rim. I'm like, yo, is she going to hit this? Is she going <laughs> to hit her with the side of the cage? Like what's going on? It got to the point where Shayna Baszler was pretty much a sparring dummy, and 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 Beth Carrera was was wailing on her with combinations. I'm like, I'm like, yo, what is happening? What is happening? It's not your first rodeo. Yeah, when I when I <laughs> yeah, when I saw that, I'm like, why is she not moving? I don't like. It became like really like I, I guess she was out on her feet, but it was still just crazy that she just. Like, there was a point where Beth Correa had actually backed up, or I think the, the ref had stepped in between them for a second and backed up, and Shayna Baszler had a full opportunity to circle away from the cage, and she just didn't yep. move and backed straight back up into the cage. I was like, what the hell is going on? Well, you know what it was? Taking what you said into consideration, I think that what, what Shayna Baszler was trying to do is she's like, yo, this chick, she's been calling us out. We're going to go out there. I got better hands. I got knockout power. Because, you know, Shayna Baszler's known for her hands. She's like, I'm going to go out there. We're going to exchange, and she's going to go to sleep because I got the heavier hands. And it's like, but you don't know this chick from a hole in the wall. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can watch tape, but you don't know what you're dealing with because she hasn't been in the game that long. Yeah, I don't know. It, that seemed like the, a bad game plan because she seemed like she was really basically dominating on the ground in the first round. I don't know why she went away from that, but it ended up losing in the fight. Yep. Uh, Beth Correa is a good personality in the uh, women's division that doesn't have a lot of real personalities, really. Nope, it's crazy. Like I think we're going to start seeing more of that, and that was something you and I had talked about at length a couple of shows back, about fighters are starting mm-hmm. to realize that the UFC isn't going to make you famous. You make you famous. Like Fighting in the UFC is part of the plan. 
you're the rest of the plan. If you don't make yourself engaging or, I mean, I've been watching the marketing campaign for season 20 of The Ultimate Fighter, and it's like they finally mm-hmm. figured out how to market them. Like, have you seen the gif with um with Rose Namajunas where she throws the spin kick? Yeah, and, like in the dress and then yeah, out. yeah, and, and, that. and that's the kind of marketing like like you want to let people know, hey, these are our fighters, and of course we, we can make a strong case that it's just the UFC knowing that they got these girls, you know, some of them are easy on the eyes, and we're gonna sell it like that. And another part is you know that a lot of these a lot of the ladies in this season are just volatile personalities to boot, so you know what you got, and you're working it to the limit. I, I mean, mean, Beth Correa is doing it herself. Yeah, and, and honestly, I don't have any issue with the UFC selling it, not necessarily on sex, but right. playing up the fact that these are attractive women. Like, there, there's nothing particularly wrong. As long as they don't overdo it, as long as you don't go whole strike force, basically <laughs> having an almost uh, a pornographic, like, almost kissing thing where they address. That was weird, and I didn't understand. Like, you didn't know they were actually fighting. Like, it Scott like they Coker. Were like Scott Coker but as doing long as thing. you don't go that far, <laughs> like as long as you like, okay, they're attractive. Like, like I, I like um, the teaser they did where like um, that I think that was Rose in the te- teaser. Yeah, too. that was Rose in the uh, teaser where, where like, it showed the, the eyes. Rose, where um, they zoomed into her face and like she was wearing lipstick and then she smiles and she got the mouth. I think yep. I thought that was really uh, a, a a you know her face was done up had makeup on. I thought that was a really cool smart yep. way to uh, present it. Like you're you're saying, yes, these women are attractive, but they'll whoop your ass, and that's a good way to do it. That's I don't, right. I don't think there's anything wrong with selling it on that aspect. So, with that said, and and with, with what we got now, with personality starting to come in for the women, where does Beth Correa go now? Because it's like she doesn't want to fight Marina Schaefer, and Dana White's like, "Yo, pump your brakes." It's like, do you give her the winner of the Katzengano fight, or you give her Holly home? Or you give her Holly home, right? I mean, those are those are the only options we got. I mean, I think Dana he kind of he kind of gave up his hand by telling by telling Ronda like, "Yo, you got to chill. You can't take this fight." Because he it was like you know what he's banking on. It's like he gave he gave up his hand yeah. immediately. You know what he's trying to cash in on, and that's fine. But it's like, dude. Do mm-hmm. not fall into the trap of just the payday fights because MMA math is going to catch up with you and more of these women are going to start putting together win streaks and before you know you got four women that should be fighting for the title and they're all going to it's going to cause you problems. Yeah, I would just give I would just the simplest solution to this for me would best be Beth Carrera Carrera versus Holly Holm. Yep. And then the the winner of the Kansas Ghana fight, you give her to Ron Rousey next. And then you have a title contender right after that with the winner of Beth Correa, Holly Holm. That's it. I think, I think that would be the easiest way to – you could still do the Gina Carano fight and get that one out of the way because that's going to be a quick win for Ronda. And then you get the other two fights right after that. So I did want to put the, put this out there before we talk about the co-main and the main. Did you see the picture Cyborg put mm-hmm. out? Yeah. <laughs> She's trying to let people know, <laughs> yeah, listen, I'm cutting, I'm cutting this weight. Don't sleep. <laughs> I mean, until until she gets on a, a scale, yep, and it says one thirty five, yep, I do not believe her. Nope, <laughs> it, it, but it, but she's trying, man. She's putting that hype machine out there. She's like, listen, I'm coming to get, I'm I'm coming for this chick. It's like, all right, we'll see. Well, here's well, well, you said one thirty five on a scale is one thing, pissing clean is the other. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> Got to call that no too. You don't. You don't have. Uh, you don't have extra high levels of testosterone in your system. Yep. And you're 135. That's it. Then I believe you. More. And you have to make. You have to fight before that. Yep. At least <laughs> one fight. To to show me you can. You can make 135 and fight. Well, I think she's gonna do the 135 fight in Invicta, make the statement, and then what she'll probably do is she'll say, "All right, I fought at 135 in Invicta. I won." I'm going to the UFC and she'll mm-hmm. probably if she if she were to go to the UFC fight at 135 and get the Ronda fight and let's let's say she beats Ronda she'd probably take one more fight and retire cuz she's not going to consistently make that <laughs> cut. You know what I mean? Like I see that shit just being like I told you I'd beat her ass like she did with Gina. Like yo, I beat her into retirement. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to send this bitch to Hollywood and um then I'm going to retire and fuck you guys. Dude, I see you doing it. That's entirely possible. That's entirely <laughs> possible. I don't know. I just, I, 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 I have a hard time believing that Cyborg can make the weight. And even if she does, I think she'd get her ass beat by Holly Holm. But, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. So let's talk this Tony Ferguson-Danny Castillo fight. I really didn't think this fight would go mm-hmm. the full three rounds. I mean, both of these guys are, are hitters, incredibly talented. And we went to the split decision, man. It was a solid fight, though. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Uh, it was a good fight. My only problem with the fight was um, Danny can still complain that he lost because I felt like he lost. Um, you cannot hold another man down while that other man tries to submit you and hits you and then be like, I won. That's not how this works. Nope. <laughs> not how it works. <laughs> like, that, that was just like really annoying to me that after the fight, he was like, I, he wasn't doing anything. He was doing more than you. <laughs> Joe, it was funny because Joe Rogan was just like, uh huh, yeah, you know, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan, straight politicking in that in that post fight interview. He's like, yeah, I'm not gonna touch that. He's like, it was just a super competitive yeah. fight. I'm like, man, Joe, you're not even trying to to, to get in there. I mean, it, the, the, it was a competitive fight, but yep. it wasn't. Danny Castillo was acting like he got ripped off. He didn't get ripped off. No, you, you lost because you were just holding him there while Tony Ferguson was going for submissions, elbowing you. Anytime you got any other position, it was because Tony Ferguson was trying to sweep you. Like that's how you win a fight from the bottom. Like, and it and it was refreshing for me because I know <clears throat> there's been times in the past where fighters have clearly won from the bottom and yep. still lost the fight. That's right. And it was good that he got the decision. Yeah, I, I thought the fight was really good. I mean, Ferguson that switch in the second round where he where he went into full guard, dropping just dropping elbows, vicious, nasty elbows. I was like, all right. This is this is what I'm talking about. So I, I I actually gave Ferguson the first. Well, no, I gave him the second, and I even kind of gave him the third, just because he was I caught in the choke. Ferguson the first, the first second. I gave him all three actually. Well, I kind of felt Castillo might have stolen the third, but I gave Ferguson the third just because he was already coasting off that strong second round. Yeah. So. But yeah, no. I mean, I, I just I didn't have Danny Castillo winning. Like I did, I just nope. don't. I hate when fighters who have lost come with this weird. Well, I was trying to fight, and he I, he he didn't want to. Like you were the one trying to grapple. Like I don't. <laughs> well, I wanna I wanna talk about this main event because first of all, yeah. before before I I get into anything, Joe Soto gets my utmost respect. Dude took the fight. In hours, in hours, and hung five rounds 
with the fucking champion. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care that they were showing him getting his ass whooped in Bellator. I don't give a shit. Dude took the fight on a day's notice. And he was also, ready. That was pretty petty by uh, of Bellator. Yeah, that, that was some cold petty. shit. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's a real dick move. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, I agree with you 100%. Shout out to Joe Soto um, for taking that fight. Yep. Um, and TJ Dillashaw because... Uh, the UFC wasn't getting pulled to John Jones thing and put him in a position where if you turn down this fight, we're going to crucify you. Yep. <laughs> like, you really, you're in a lose-lose situation because say he had actually lost and then, you know, you're looking like, okay, well, you lost to somebody you <clears throat> hadn't trained to fight. But um, I I was impressed by Joe Soto being able to hang for five rounds. I think some of that had to do with TJ Dillashaw not training for him at right. all. Um, I think... You, MMA now is really game plan specific, and that game plan was a game plan for Hannah Burrell. But um, he, TJ Dillashaw looked as good as he could uh, due to the circumstances. Yep, I, I agree a hundred percent. But I also gotta gotta go yeah. in there and say that you know TJ Dillashaw, yeah, battle plan's a battle plan. But when you're at that elite level, and, and you can mm-hmm. you can attest to this, do if you're at, a, at an elite level, you're still gonna adapt. Like, you're going to figure that dude yeah. out. Like, I know by the third round, like, I, I think Soto hit his groove in the third round, and Dillashaw's like, yeah, I got you figured out. And then come that, when it, that fifth round came in, and he went to shoot in for the single, Dillashaw's like, yeah, I know where we're mm-hmm. at. You know? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it, it was clear that as the fight went on, he was he was understanding, okay, he's going to do this. Because yep. that, that final sequence was something that he had been setting up basically the whole fight with, you know, he threw a left hand, uh, Soto kind of drifted to his right, ran straight into the kick, and then finished the fight. That was something that he had been setting up the whole fight, and it just took a while for him to be able to see it because he didn't game plan for him. Um, And that's something that elite fighters can do. Elite fighters don't necessarily need game plans, right? but it helps a lot. (laughs) Well, you know what's funny? I like that he used the liver shot as the setup, and when he popped up from from the wince of the liver shot, is how he snuck in that high kick. Like that was that was that was beautiful. That was beautiful striking because it's like he was using the liver shot to just get him to untuck his head, and just and, and that's how he caught him clean. Because you know they showed a slow mo of the kick, they showed a gif, and then um, they showed a, a close a close up picture, and it's like that was shin on face, perfect. Yeah, it was, it was, it was figuring out your opponent as you went, and it looked really. TJ Dillashaw looked as good as he could due to the circumstances, and Joe Soto did exactly. Joe Soto did everything he could. I think by the third round, I think by the fourth round, Joe Soto was pretty tired. Yeah, I mean he didn't train for a five round fight, and I think by the third round he was pretty tired. I mean, he was he was doing up as much as he could, but it ended up um, <clears throat> getting a loss, but. I think the UFC will do right by him. I think he'll probably get a a good uh, bounce back fight and maybe get another title shot in their future. Well, you know what's funny, Henan Burrell. You know, a lot of these guys they have trouble cutting weight. Dana White pays their show bonus or whatever it is to show. Dana White was pretty much like, "Yeah, you know what you're getting? Shit, you're getting no fucking money. How about that? It's like everything you paid for. Hell, you paid for the airfare to come out here. We ain't even paying you for that." I was like, "Oh shit!" Like like Henan Burrell pretty much derailed any chance of him getting into the title picture for the foreseeable future 
after this debacle where he nearly jeopardized an entire card in 24 hours. Yeah. I, I was a little surprised by that, <laughs> but I wasn't shocked. Um, it, it's just funny, you know, three months ago they were saying this is the best fight in the world. Right. Uh, UFC was pushing him as the best fight in the world two right. months ago, but I was a little surprised by that, but clearly Dana White was upset um, that he basically ruined an already weak card. Yes. And um, you, he's got to do, he got to be a professional. You've got to learn how to cut weight professionally. I don't know what he can do, but he needs to do whatever it is that he needs to find in Brazil to help him cut weight. He needs to do it. Yeah, I was. Because I know it's huge. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. And on top of that, it was just the fact that, it, you know, Dana White, I think, is, is reaching that point. And I think even the organization as a whole is reaching that point. Where is tired of dudes just phoning it in? Like, if it's a question where the guy cut weight and to cut that last pound, it would put him in the hospital. You know what I mean? They make mm-hmm. they make the concessions. But if the day before, and, I, and, you know, I'm sure Dana has an inside track. Somebody says to him, yo, this dude's walking around like 160 right now. You know, Dana White's probably like, are you fucking serious? Like, I guarantee you that him or, or, or so, you know, Joe Silva or um, any of these guys, they got an inside track, whether it's from one of the coaches or a sparring partner, like, yo, how's this dude looking? And they're like, yo, this dude's, at, you know, 160 right now. You know, Dana White's probably like, are you fucking kidding me, this fucking guy? And, and I guarantee yeah, I'm you. Time, I'm 100% sure he knew because a video that I saw was a US, on UFC.com. Like, right. They knew. How big he was. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, like I, I'm, I'm sure that management makes sure that for these title fights, they got an inside man. Because, you know, Rampage used to talk about that shit. Like, yo, they got somebody in my camp, man. You know, like, like you know for a fact that there's always one dude that is going to be like, listen, this is where we're at. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, think you, you, you got to do better. Like, there's no excuse. I don't, I, I, there's nothing that any of these fighters unless something medically is wrong with you can tell me that why you can't cut weight. (laughs) Well, I got, I got one for you. I guarantee you that if when, Mm -hmm. if when John Jones injured his knee, if it would have came out that Overeem was responsible, you know, the UFC would have cut him. I'm not even, it's not even (laughs) a game. He wouldn't even been shot. If it it came out that he was deliberately hurting people. Cause, and also I don't, I don't think, Overeem is out here trying to hurt people nope. when he spars. He's just a big dude, a you know. Really he's a goon big person. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't think he deliberately like was just like, yeah, I'm gonna fuck up John Jones for no reason whatsoever. Like, <laughs> right? Like, I think he just, you know, just might have moved the wrong way. Boom, some. And John Jones doesn't even look that hurt. He right? Was, uh, hurt enough where he couldn't fight coming up. It right? Wasn't blew out his ACL, but yeah. um yeah, yeah. If they had found out that he was out here doing something that he shouldn't have been doing, they yep. would have him. That's that's exact, and that's what I'm saying. Like, like looking at that and taking that into consideration. It, remember when um, Juliana Pena got hurt? That Dana White was like livid. Like that's what I mean. Like I guarantee yeah. you, they got dudes in every camp keeping these guys posted, especially with the champions. Like, yo, this dude's spending too much time at the club or whatever, you know. It's, it's, yeah, it's craziness. Also, the junior, that's still that's still crazy. The junior opinion um, injury, like she destroyed all her knee. Yep, <laughs> dude. If she comes back, I would be shocked. 
I, I wouldn't be shocked, but it's going to be a long time. Like, she had, I think she tore all three major yep. ligaments in her knee. Like, I, I still don't know what the fuck you had to be doing in an MMA gym. That's an injury you get in football. Yep. Like, <laughs> and it's in football like, if you not, land wrong or if a dude clips you, you know? Like, it's not even some some random shit. Like, it's got to be, like, some serious impact to blow out your knee like that. Yeah, like, a dude has to hit you helmet first in your kneecap. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, I still don't get what you would I still, and I, I don't think they ever fully said what exactly was going on for her need to basically implode upon itself. Yep, it's craziness. But um, I want to switch gears going to the uh, the rest of the news for the week. Um, $50,000 bonuses were handed mm-hmm. out, of course. Uh, TJ Dillashaw took a nice 50. Yancey Medeiros took a nice 50. And Diego Ferreira Ramsey Najem took a fight of the night bonus of 50K. So definitely well-deserved bonuses for those guys. But mm-hmm. I want to talk about Bellator and the UFC going head-to-head tomorrow with, with a pretty dynamite card on both sides. I mean, I think that the UFC is even going to start their card a little earlier because Bellator runs from 8 mm-hmm. to 10.15, and the UFC starting their card at 10 o'clock. So, I mean, the, the prelims are on Fox Sports 1 at 7, but the main card is starting at 10 because they know that people are going to be flipping back and forth. Uh, definitely a sound strategy. Uh, what do you think of the cards side by side before we get into the matches, real quick? Um, I think the UFC card is a slight bit better because the, the 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 Bellator card does have Bobby Lashley on it. <laughs> um, I got a joke about that, that for you. That kind of drops the quality. <laughs> Go ahead, damn. But but like they they do. I mean, they still had to pack her and. Um, Pitbull Pereira, I, I keep uh, Patricio. Yeah, Patricio, right? Patricio, right? Yeah, uh, the Patricio Ferre, um <clears throat> Pat Curran fight, which is going to be crazy. But yep. um, the UFC card, you know, you got Gaon Musashi and and uh, <clears throat> Jacare. I mean, there's some good fights on both cards. Um, but I, I think the UFC one is slightly better. I think I think bo- both cards are trying to make a statement. Um, just to get people right into right into the mix, um, Jacare and Musashi is going to be an amazing card. Only, I mean, an amazing fight because both of those guys they can do it standing. Their submission game is on point. Uh, the Overeem Rothwell fight—it's funny to me because you know Anthony Johnson was just like, "Yo, dude, stop talking shit because you were hiding from Junior Dos Santos and you didn't even want to take that fight. You know, stop being a bitch." And, um, you know, Overeem's just been in the press this week and not for anything good. Just John, Rumble Johnson like, yo, don't make me come up there to heavyweight and smash you. I was like, oh, my God. Just just insanity this week on that side on that side of the fence. And it's funny because I'm like, I really wouldn't mind seeing Anthony Johnson or Overeem square off, dude, at, at heavyweight. It would be ridiculous. I wouldn't either just to see, like... <laughs> Because you know how the fight is. Yep. If, if Overeem can avoid getting hit in the face, he'd probably win. <laughs> yep. But Anthony Johnson hits stupid hard. Like, it's still so crazy to me. This man fought at 170. Yep. <laughs> That's just insane. <laughs> and he keeps that power across the board, which is crazy. Because he had power at 170. <laughs> you know, power at 185. Power at 205. He fought at heavyweight. It's it's it, 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 dude's Knock a freak of nature. Yeah, dude's a freak of nature, and 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 Overeem, you know, Overeem's like, you know, that's some real pussy shit he's doing, and I'm just like, oh my god, don't don't do it, don't do it, because this dude is a lunatic, 
and he may say, yo, let me take this heavyweight fight real quick. Don't, I'm not even worried about this Gustafson fight. Let me take this heavyweight fight and shut this dude up. Yeah, they're, they're, they're probably not going to fight. But um, over, but, uh, back to his fight this weekend, I, he, he should be Ben Rothwell. He should, and that's the, the joke. same problems always persist with, with Overeem. Yep. If he gets hit in the face. Or and, if he gets the dude on the ropes and he can't go finish him. You notice that? Because remember, he had tra- he almost caught Travis Brown, and then Travis Brown just dropped him. He, he beat the hell out of Travis Brown. Like, and, and for some reason, he couldn't finish him. He was yep. beating the hell out of Bigfoot Silver yep. and couldn't finish him. He beat the hell out of Frank Mir and couldn't finish him. It, it's crazy to me. Like, did, hell, I didn't even realize he didn't. He's had five UFC fights. That's crazy right. to me. I just, just thought about that. But, um, or four. Um, but yeah, he was, he has been winning the majority of his fights up until he lost. Right. And that's the, and that's the <laughs> so, craziness. Um, yeah. So if, if, if he can avoid, he gets his chin tap, he should win the fight. And I'll, pretty easily, actually, if he can avoid getting his chin touch. I'll tell you this though. If he loses, you know, he's getting a one way ticket to Bellator. <laughs> See, I still don't think they cut him. I think he's still such a big draw for them. I don't think they'd cut him if he loses. You don't think so? It's like, yes. all right. You know what it is? I don't want to be. I don't want to shit on Ben Rothwell. He's not a. He's not a, a clown. But it's just like if he lost to Ben Rothwell, as, you know, as the UFC, I'd be like, dude, really? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not even trying to be. I'm not even trying to clown Ben Rothwell. It's just like Overeem. You are a legit dude. You know what I mean? Like, you are a a problem. Like, you're abnormally just a monster, and you just have these dudes just sunning you left and right. Like, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I just, I, 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 just, I wouldn't be surprised if he lost and they kept him on. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Okay, fair enough. I, I actually want to see this Joe Lazan-Michael Chiesa fight. They're really doing a good job building that, that up. That's going to. And that's a solid opener. I'm not sure where I stand with Matt Mitrione and Derek Lewis. I'm trying to figure out where the hell Derek Lewis is from. But um, he had, I think, two UFC fights. Has I he? Think. He just does. I'm like, who yeah, is I this think guy? He's at, yeah, I saw I I saw him fight somebody else that was injured <laughs> in training. Um, uh, some guy that was a black zillion. I forgot his name, but I saw him knock him out. Um, but that was only I think I think he had one other fight in the UFC. But yeah, he's had a couple of UFC fights. Yeah, well. I mean, you know, the card itself looks solid. On the Bellator side of things, you know, Pat Curran, Pitbull is going to be a problem. Dustin Jacoby and, and, and mm. King Mo look solid, but a lot of people online are like, yo, man, if King Mo lose this fight, I don't know what the fuck his deal is going to be. You know, because it's like... Yeah, he needs to win this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you see, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm not alone in that. You know, the Czech Congo fight is good. It was funny because Czech Congo was pretty much like, yo, the UFC shitted on me. And I, I was just like... Yeah, maybe you're right, but you also did have a tendency to just kick dudes in the nuts on the regular. So I don't know. I don't know where I stand with yeah. that. <laughs> you know, it, I it, don't it, think I wouldn't call what the UFC did to him shitting on him. Yep, he wasn't anybody that they wanted to keep. Like he wasn't worth keeping. He didn't have anything did, about him other than being big and French. You know, like I'm not trying yeah, to be like he. You know, I'm not trying to be he an built asshole. Just like real scary kickboxer and really didn't do anything. Yeah, let's not let's not let's not even talk about how my boy Pat Barry almost put it on him, and you know, you know, 
and then afterwards we know how that went like check it's like check you're a cool dude you're a big massive human being but come on son and lavar johnson could put you to sleep because lavar johnson got nasty power when he feels like it Basically, ah, yeah, basically. <laughs> well, I did I did want to bring up Bobby Lashley, and, and the reason I bring this up, and it, it goes a little bit into wrestling, but you're going to get a kick out of this. So Bobby Lashley is the current TNA World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, for those of you that don't follow TNA, mm-hmm. Bobby Lashley is their champion. Now, they're saying that if Bobby Lashley fights in Bellator and loses, he might lose the belt at the next TNA show. <laughs> Because it's just, it's just like, yo, we're going to send our champion over there. That's ridiculous. <laughs> we're sending our champion over there. He got fucked up. So, fuck it. We're not even going to keep the belt on him. Like, that's kind of stupid. Mostly because they know that that's a <laughs> chance. Like, <laughs> like, why would you even let him do it? Then? I figured you'd laugh at that, that dude. Ruined... <laughs> so what? I figured you would get a kick out of that dude that it's just like, yeah, Bobby Lashley's going to get in there. And, uh, yeah, if he loses, uh, you might be losing that TNA belt on, on next next Wednesday. Yeah, that's, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just stupid. I don't, I don't want to say it. Like, why, why would you even let him go there? Like, that's what I'm saying, dude. Because like, like, they didn't have to let him do this. Yep. Well, he said that in an interview on MMA Junkie, he was like, yeah, I think it was a big mistake, me going to strike force when I did. I'm like, dude, you lost to, like, a dude with who's only selling saving grace was he had cool sideburns. <laughs> you know what I mean? Remember that fight that he just, like, died out there? I'm like, yo, is Bobby Lashley dead? Like, what happened? I mean, he, he should have won that fight. He did get stood up. He did get stood up from Mount. Should have won the fight. But you still, like, had to go to the hospital for dehydration. Yep. You look like you were about to die. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was crazy, but I figured I'd share that with you, that it's like TNA's letting him fight, and it's like you're going to wrestle and you're going to fight, but there's always that chance that if you don't win in MMA, you may lose your chip when you come back and wrestle, <laughs> which is crazy. Hopefully this is the only time he's foraying into MMA. Like, he needs to give that dream up. He's just... <laughs> You know what it is? I like him. I think he's a cool at person. But you know what it is? He suffers from the from the baby voice syndrome, where it's like, oh, this ma- this monster of a human, and he's just like, hey man, I want to go out there and whoop your ass. It's just like, oh, somebody shut up. Like you know, what I mean, I feel bad for the dude. That's why in TNA he doesn't even talk. Like MVP does most of the talking because he's part of like a stable in TNA, and MVP does all the talking for him because it's just like it just doesn't work for him. And I feel bad for the dude because yo, he's a he's nobody should be that big. You know what I mean? Like, he's just a massive human being. Yeah, like, I don't... He is fighting a heavyweight, right? Like, that. Yeah. Because, I mean... Because, I mean, he's got to be more than 250 pounds. Like, yep. just straight muscle. Yep. <laughs> he's a... He's a... He's a ma- mean, he's fighting some guy named Josh Burns. I don't even think the guy has a... I think he has a page on Sherdog. I'm not even sure. But that's what I mean. He's the opener for that fight. Like, Bobby Lashley's opening the televised portion of the card. Yeah, he, <laughs> he needs to give up his dream of fighting. Like, cause, I mean, and, and there's no shame in it. Like, I don't think there's any shame of just not doing this. <laughs> well, there's no shame in not fighting anymore. Like, you're not, just not built for it. 
now that now that I told you that, I can't wait to hear what you got to say about it next week because <laughs> it's it, it's it's gonna be crazy. But um, couple of fight cards that are coming together: UFC Fight Night Fifty Three mm-hmm. um, in Sweden, Gunnar Nelson, Rick Story, Akira Khorasani, Max Holloway. Uh, definitely a pretty solid fight. Again, no three o'clock in the afternoon on UFC Fight Pass. Again, just just yeah, yeah <laughs> just middle of the day. Nobody's gonna watch it, and I feel bad about it. Yeah, that's <laughs> one I'm going to end up uh, obtaining. Otherwise, in yes. a way the UFC probably will not like. There you go. <laughs> like, so, if you make me have to, like, you, they make you have to choose like this. Like, I, I'm not about to watch that at three in the afternoon. Nope. <laughs> Hell no. It's crazy. But um, I did I did want to kind of reference this, and this is this is crazy in the sense that like Invicta's on UFC Fight Pass, but their cards at eight o'clock and one of our listeners mortis mm-hmm. is actually going to that card you know what i mean like i'd actually tune in to fight pass for that because it's had a good time it's a solid card and it's it's good for the promotion but you're you're putting a card yeah. on at three in the afternoon on a on a saturday i believe on a saturday yeah october 4th is a saturday get the fuck out of here it's- it's also college football season. I will not be watching UFC at three o'clock on Saturday. <laughs> no, sir. Um, I figure you're gonna love this. So during the post media press conference for UFC 177, they asked Dana White about him yeah. letting Stefan Bonner go to Bellator. Of course, Stefan Bonner's going to Bellator. Mm-hmm. He wants to fight Tito. And Dana White said the following. I released him to do it because he was still on the contract with us. We released him and wished him the best. When he told me that he wants to beat the shit out of Tito, I'm always down for that. So I released him. What the hell is that about? First of all, Dana the, the White putting... Tito, Dana White thing is so petty at this point. Dude, he's putting hits out on dudes. Like, yo, you're going to go and take out Tito. Like, what is happening? Grown-ass men. Like, yo... Like did Tito did Tito sleep with your wife? Like like you stay wanting to watch Tito get his ass whooped. It's like the dude's not even in your promotion. I don't even know why he's still mad at Tito. That's like, what I'm I, saying. I legit don't even know why he's still upset. Dude, Tito don't even talk about him. It's like yo, Tito's so far removed from the UFC right now. Like he's just trying to get people to buy punishment shit and fight dudes that are in lighter weight classes. You know, keep his head on straight. Not sleep with any porn stars. You know Have what I mean? That weird punishment commercial with the giant knee brace. That's what I'm saying. Like just trying to stay, trying to stay relevant. Like why are you trying to? Why are you trying to take the dude's shine, man? You gotta send. You're gonna send Stefan Bonner over there. And then the funny part is, if you follow these guys on Twitter and them talking shit to each other, you know that it is so comical and it is so it is so canned. Like there's a part where Tito says something and Stefan Bonner's like. Why don't you get somebody better to ghostwrite your tweets for you, Tito? I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, I'm not even remotely <laughs> interested. I haven't been interested in the Stephen Bonner fight ever. And I, I haven't watched Tito, been interested in the Tito fight in like 10 years. So, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy I, that, you I, know. Go ahead. I, 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 it'd be funny when it happens, but 
it, it's real petty that Dana White is like, yeah, I'm going to release you just so you can fight Tito Ortiz. Yeah, like that, that makes no sense to me. Like, not even because, hey, Stefan, you pretty much, your t-shirt company folded, everybody hates you because you juiced up to fight Anderson Silva, and, you know, you basically sabotaged your own career. But we're going to put you in the in the UFC Hall of Fame because you and Forrest Griffin pretty much beat the beat any memories you'll have out of yourselves in, in 10 years. So we're just going to do that. Like, like, not even on the strength of, hey, man, we fucked you up. You got no money, so we're going to cut you loose. No, we're – oh, you want to fight Tito? Yeah, go ahead. If, if I bet you if he wasn't fighting Tito, Dana White wouldn't have cut him loose so easily. Yeah, Stephen Bonner is, it's, ugh. it's, it, well, I was about to say it's sad what happened to him career-wise, but it's not because I know for, well, I mean, he never came out and explicitly said it. Right. But it's almost, a, to me, I'm 100% sure he was completely aware that he was on steroids for the answer. But in fact, I, I won't say I know, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that his whole intention was to be on steroids for that fight, to say, I'd be dancing silver. Like, yep. You can't say shit to me, even if I was on steroids. I'd be answered. Right, and that, and, and, but it's just it's insane that right after that, his career just went so crazy. I remember he had a really cool T-shirt company, and he was doing like the garbage pail kid style T-shirts with the MMA fighters, and I liked it. I'm like, wow, this is pretty promising. All the fighters like it. Everybody's into it. People think it's cool. I remember we had me, you and I, we had a couple jokes about it because he did that shirt with Josh Koscheck, and and Koscheck was all pissed off. You know, like like he was at, he was doing really well, just marketing himself, doing it right, growing correctly, and it's like like uh, uh, and I'll use a good example, like like this guy Johnny Manziel, you know, playing in Cleveland. Dude's trying to lock up mm-hmm. Johnny. I think it's Johnny Football or Johnny Cleveland. Like he's trying to trademark all this shit. Like dude's legit trying to turn himself into a business. Like this is what fighters should be doing. No, you're going to go and juice up yeah. to fight a living legend, lose terribly, and then everything's just going to snowball into into the toilet at that point. It's craziness. Yeah, his, his, his career is basically dead, and I guess this is his little last bastion of hope. Like, oh, I can beat Tito Ortiz. I mean, why can't you just let Tito, Tito cook at this point, man? He, yep. he ain't doing nothing to nobody. He's not doing nothing to anybody. If anything, you should try and patch things up with Tito because I've always felt that Tito is a, has a great mind for the sport and he'd make a, a terrific color commentator. Like, dude, Tito and like, and, like, Rogan would be great on TV or even an analyst. Like, stop. Stop trying to shit on the dude. I understand. Y'all hate each other. But the guy's a known guy. I still... I... I... I don't know what they hate each other for. Like, that's the crazy part of me. Like, I have no idea what the, what their beef with each other is. Well, their beef is just because Tito's a head case. Dana White is always on a power trip. Tito doesn't fall in line. And automatically, Dana White's like, oh, well, fuck you then. And and it's crazy because a lot of fighters aren't drinking the Dana, the Dana Kool-Aid. Like, Jose Aldo said in an interview, they're like, oh, you know, what do you think Dana says? about?" He's like, I don't care what Dana says about me. He's like, he, I don't know. think a lot of them do. As long as he signs their checks, I don't think a lot of them give a shit there you what he says about them. <laughs> Mortis, Mortis mentioned something which I'm going to talk about at the end of the segment, but um, yeah, man, it was it, it's just craziness to me, and I just found it so so petty on Dana's part. And as for again, I like the guy, I love what he's done with the sport, but sometimes it's like, dude, stop the shit because it was crazy. And I and before I didn't do the show last week, I was going to talk about how G, how he was on a GQ list of scumbags above like War Machine. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean that that itself was kind of um, that was some petty. real shitty like, stuff. I read that article. Yep, <laughs> that was that was kind of petty. The person who the person Deadspin hates the uh, Dana White for some reason. Yep, and um, that it was just you know it was kind of petty, and they were the ones who wrote the article. But there, there's a reason that um, they feel that way, right? But uh, you know what's crazy? It's like. Dana White, they have you in a list, and you're one above War Machine. Who, by the way, TMZ said that he pled not guilty to 32 charges, including two counts of attempted murder. That when yeah, he, this man's facing life in prison. Dude, guys showed up in court, and the prosecutors are like, yeah, we're going to give you 25 charges on top of the original complaint. You're going to get multiple counts of battery, strangulation, kidnapping, coercion, burglary, and sexual assault. Like you're a, yeah. you're one above also, that call guy. War Machine in court. They're calling him John Copenhagen. That's right. <laughs> they refuse to call him War Machine. Dude, I I I love that. I, I I love the fact that you know War Machine just walks in and he's like, yeah, I'm not guilty, dude. You cut the chick's hair off with a blunt knife. <laughs> who who was that then? If yeah, it wasn't you? Yeah, I don't even understand. I don't. I after reading her account, yep. even though after you read the police report, there's discrepancies. It's still no discrepancy between her and her ass beat. Yep, there's this, no that happened. Yep. <laughs> but here's here's like, the even kicker: if she was fucking other dude. Go ahead. You beat her ass. You're going to jail. Yep. <laughs> well, here's the thing that gets me, and, and and this is this is how I see it. Even even if there mm-hmm. are discrepancies in the report. The fact is that the crime you committed was god awful. Like that chick, it's like you can't say I didn't hit the chick because there's photos of the chick's head looking like the monster from Basket Case. Like, yo, come on. And then on top of that, on top of that, you beat the dude up, which they're saying that if he can't, if they can't get him to be like a legit witness, like half of those charges aren't Mm going to stick, which is crazy to me. He still will go to jail for a very long time. Right. They can't get to do. Right. But but what I'm saying is like like right now they're talking 32 charges and all that shit. But if they can't get the the, mm-hmm. the job, you know, they can't get the guy as as a credible witness for that and say, you listen, yeah, I saw when he pulled the knife or whatever. You know, it's going to be a yeah. lot of hearsay. And that's where like the medical the medical reports going to come in. And they're going to be like, dude, he put a beat in her because these these uh these injuries are in line with somebody who gets punched like this or kicked like, like dude he kicked her in the ribs you're talking about a guy that no, that kicks people in the in the legs you know what i mean that knows how to check kicks and you're kicking your your girl in the in the liver you know and in and in the ribs it's crazy yeah so hope, hopefully he goes there like i don't want to even yep and unless i'm hearing john Copenhagen is going to prison for at least 25 years I don't want to hear anything about him. Yep. Like he, I was never a fan of him to begin with, but this is just driven it way over the edge for me. Like I just, he needs to be in jail. And here's the, here's the funny thing. There was a, um, the guys from what would Tyler Durden do? They, they, they listed out his, uh, his, uh, charges and they were like, why can't we just drop this dude in like Afghanistan, like Rambo <laughs> and leave him over there. <laughs> and I, and I thought about it. I said, you know what? As terrible as that sounds, that's the kind of that's the stage that we're in with a guy like him. 
Because I'm sorry to say, you can't rehabilitate that guy. You can't. It's impossible. He's been like this forever. Right. Like, you can't rehabilitate this dude. Like, I remember the picture when he got arrested and had the bag over his head, the spit bag, when they were walking him into the jail. So I was like, yeah, you can't. You can't with this dude. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy. He needs to be in jail, like, forever. <laughs> so, so, hopefully I, you never hear nothing else from him. <laughs> the, this is true. I want to just uh, wrap things up with two other stories. Uh, first up, uh, Jim Ross, legendary WWE ring announcer, will be doing MMA commentary alongside, get this, Chael Sonnen for Battleground MMA on October 3rd in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I bet you would never think to hear that in a sentence. <laughs> that is awkward. Well, not really, because I, I know Jim Ross is really into MMA. Um, for what I understand, he he's a fan of the sport. Um, and Chael Sonnen has to do something. Yeah, he's got to do something. <laughs> he, he like he, huh? Yeah, he's got to do something. Yeah, like because Nevada. Athletic Commission is basically like, hey, we're going to take away all of your livelihood and, and make it where you can't do anything in MMA anymore. And, I mean, it, it's good for Chelsea for getting a job. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I'd be interested to see what they sound like in commentary together. Oh, I'd love to hear that. <laughs> Chelsea is a pretty good commentator. All I know is, my God, my God, he got caught in the heel hook. My God, he's down. He's down. <laughs> Damn it, ref, stop the fight. Dude, oh, my God, it's going to be fantastic. Oh man, if he if he goes full <laughs> slobber knocker, Jim oh, Ross, I need that. <laughs> I need that in my I need that in my life, dude. Like just two dudes rock up soccer robots. My God, this is a slobber knocker. He accidentally calls like Chael King. Oh, it'll be so great. And um, oh man, that'd be hilarious. That, that might actually make me want to watch that card. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, dude. And that the, the last thing to close things out, and that that happened today. Randy Couture heading to Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> He's also somebody who needs stuff to do. <laughs> um, is he still like associated with Bellator? I don't even. Well, I don't know. I, know he I mean, was for a while. I know he's working a lot with Spike because he did that Jim Rescue show with uh, Frank Shamrock and um, Bedros Koulian. And it was, it, you know, it was pretty cool. I, uh, the concept is legit. Um, I just think that Randy's at a point where Randy don't even need to work anymore, dude. Like, he's got, like, I think three gyms. He's got Extreme Couture Cologne, <laughs> Extreme Couture Clothing. Oh, yeah, yeah, those, those, those terrible clothes, yeah. I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, he shouldn't have to work anymore. He really I mean, doesn't. He, he's he just made money from MMA. He really shouldn't have to work anymore. Yep, like, I think Dancing with the Stars is just because he's bored, he got nothing to do, and maybe his girl was like, why don't you try probably it? Probably going to be in Expendables 4. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, Expendables 4, he'll probably do maybe some some cable movies alongside, like, you know, Steven Seagal or some shit. Like, he's good, man. It's just yeah. weird. It's just yeah. the weirdest I mean, Randy, thing. Randy, it's crazy that he's, like, 51. Yep. <laughs> Dude is a machine. It's like, it's like, yo, you're not, you're not human. It's it's funny because it's like he could probably still get in a cage and still fuck up most of these dudes. He probably could be a good majority of them, like please. <laughs> yeah, so with with that that actually uh wraps up the news for the week. We got, like I said, Bellator, UFC tomorrow night, uh fight starting at seven. 
We got Invicta on Saturday, and then it's just nonstop fights pretty much through the rest of September. And um, th- things are shaping up pretty well. I mean, we still don't have a Gina Carano signing. Um, Ronda's next fight hasn't been announced yet. And uh, John Jones and Gustafson, it, well, John Jones and, and Cormier are still on their collision course, but Gustafson pretty much said, eh, I'll take another fight before then. He was all he was all fire and brimstone, like, I'm not taking a fight, I'm just going to wait. And now all of a sudden he's like, eh, maybe I'll fight Rumble. Maybe. Maybe I'll take that fight. And I'm just like, oh, God. I mean, he, he, needs, to get to, he needs to take a fight. Um, it'd be in his best interest to yep. take a fight. Because... <clears throat> Even if John Jones is a loser, Daniel Cormier, you do not want to fight. You do not want to fight either one of these dudes without having to have fought for over a year. You don't right. want that problem. Like, like, and then you know, even with the Anthony Johnson fight, like that's not somebody you should take lightly. Nope. Like Anthony Johnson hits you, and like your <laughs> your body shuts down. So. Well, I'm, I'm telling like, you this. We'll see how that fight goes. If Rumble hmm? beats Gustafson. Rumble should get the next shot. Yeah. Period. I think he will. I think that the, the, the pace, the, the track they're putting him on, like, I think his whole career changed the moment he beat Phil Davis. Yep. Like, I, I think they even if he hadn't beat Phil Davis or dominated Phil Davis, I think they would have put him on, like, a really slow track, you know, beat, beating dudes up like Jimmy Manawas and dudes like that. Uh, the moment he beat Phil Davis and then damn near killed uh, Lil <laughs> Nog, they were like, yo, we got to get this dude in contention, like, now. Yep. Like, because he's interesting. He's he's a personal dude. He he seems like a genuinely nice dude, and he hits really, really freaking hard. I like how you mentioned Jimmy Manua because he's supposed to be fighting Shogun, allegedly. <laughs> I forgot Shogun was still fighting. You and um, me both. Some of these old pride dudes need to go ahead and hang it up, man. I don't know, man. It's like it's like I like Shogun, but I need you to I need you to remember what cornflakes you had this morning. Yeah, like it's getting it's. I, I said this. This might have been a year and some change ago when you fought Brandon Vera. Maybe two years. No, about a year, year and a half ago when you fought Brandon Vera. I said he need to retire after that fight. He's fought. He's had more brain cells knocked out of him by Dan um, Dan Dan Henderson. Yep. Like this is not good for your long term health. Like nope. being beaten the head like that, it's not good. <laughs> it's it's gonna be crazy. We got a we got an interesting couple of weeks. Um, ju- just real quick, uh, you still doing? I haven't seen a double HND. You taking a, a break? Uh, we're not really taking a break. Um, <clears throat> we just scheduling issues like we really haven't had a chance to sit down and do one uh since uh, our last one but uh for those who are interested um uh it's a mixer slash uh, slash uh double hnd it's a uh podcast it's hip-hop sports nerd stuff uh what i really feel like talking about our last episode was mostly well our last episode was all just a uh nfl preview well college football and nfl preview uh we'll probably be doing a new show probably in, in fact, we will be doing one this week. Um, but yeah, so everybody just check it out. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, and any feedback is is greatly appreciated. There you go. All right, of course, Blackout89 on Twitter. Uh, you can also find Ben's commentary and his content on RageWorks.net and MyTakeRadio.com. Um, for those of you that were asking, I know Slick was asking, it is Mixler.com forward slash double H. ND. 
So you could check that out there. Uh, ben, just do me a solid and uh, throw the link in the chat as well when you get a moment. Okay, I got you. Anything else you want to add? Nope, that's it. All right, bro. I will catch you next week most likely. I appreciate you taking the time to call in. All right. No all right, bro. Peace. That was our very own Ben at Blackout89 on Twitter. Make sure to look at his uh, columns on RageWorks.net and MyTakeRadio.com. Of course, he will have his upcoming Fighter of the Month uh, debuting on RageWorks.net. We will see who will get that honor, considering that it has been a great month of MMA, uh, the month of August. And, of course, September can only bring some even better fights. So, Definitely be on the lookout for that. Again, uh, look for him on Mixler and his podcast, Double HND. I cannot stress enough, if you are a fan of hip-hop, uh, Ben and, and his co-host, super insightful, very amusing. Definitely show him some love. Uh, he's working really hard on it, and I definitely want to try and support that endeavor. Again, Mixler.com forward slash Double HND. All right, so with that said, we are wrapping up our MMA segment for the week. Let's get into some wrestling, and of course, Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. Again, our promo code is WWESAVE10. You can find the banners with other promo codes on MyTakeRadio.com and RageWorks.net. As always, if you shop through the banners, it helps us out. It helps us improve the sites, the shows, and all our gear. All right, so last week's episode of Raw which I said was just completely abysmal. Does it get redeemed this week? All right, so let's talk about the opening segment for Monday Night Raw. Um, Chris Jericho was running the highlight reel, and pretty much the the poor man's four horsemen came out. Triple H, Corporate Kane, Seth Rollins, and, of course, Randall come out, and, you know, they, they talk a little shit, Triple H, uh, clowns Chris Jericho a little bit. It was it was a decent segment. Uh, a couple of things I liked was the fact that there was actually some genuine uh, good mic work and a pretty decent setup for the main event of the evening. Of course, the shit talking was not going to go unanswered as Roman Reigns showed up and pretty much bitched out Randy Orton. And of course, John Cena came out and he, of course, pretty much said the same thing he's been saying for the last two weeks, that he's going to go and whoop Brock Lesnar's ass at Night of Champions. Now, before I get into the first match, I got to say this. In order to keep Brock Lesnar credible after breaking the streak at WrestleMania, John Cena cannot beat him. Now, I've talked about this at length with a lot of people, including uh, Josh, of course, who writes for the site and a... best man at my wedding, a whole bunch of shit. But Josh and I were having a a debate about it because he was saying that with Brock Lesnar being champion, there are no faces that are credible enough to challenge him. And we went into it back and forth. And, you know, Cena is pretty much the only guy that's been groomed by the company 
as a challenger for Lesnar and just as a main eventer as a whole. Now, before I get into, like I said, the rest of the matches from Raw, I want to kind of touch on that a little bit because John Cena is your modern-day Hulk Hogan. He is your flag bearer. He is the guy that carries the torch for your company. And as such, you know for a fact that he is pretty much, if, if, if WWE was, you know, let's look at it like, like a tent. A tent has three, uh, well, let's look at it as a tent. A tent has a support system that holds it up. John Cena is the one guy that's pretty much holding up the entire tent. Because Daniel Bryan's on the shelf, CM Punk is gone, and honestly, they've done nothing to create new stars. And this is a problem because everybody that you think has the potential to be a star, they've ruined. I say this because we look at a guy like Mark Henry. Mark Henry should be challenging for the belt as much as... He should be in the main event picture most of the time because this is the time that Mark Henry is at the top of his game. Not only that, but he at least looks credible enough in the main event that, hey, he has a chance of possibly beating a guy like Brock Lesnar. But you know what's been done to Mark Henry? He's been bludgeoned, beaten, buried, re-brought up to the card, then buried again, then injuries. Like, he's just he's just damaged goods. Another guy, Dolph Ziggler. Super promising, crowd is into him, uh, great storytelling, amazing sells, and again, another guy that just can't be put into the main event. You got Biggie Langston, who has the looks and everything to be a main eventer. You have him walking around thinking he's Jesse Jackson and Martin Luther King combined. It's, it's crazy. Antonio Cesaro, let's not even go into how much they've ruined Antonio Cesaro. This is a guy who, when he was aligned with Paul Heyman, you knew that he would be a shoo-in to challenge a guy like Brock Lesnar. It's not happening. And let's be honest, Seth Rollins is not cashing in that belt on Brock Lesnar because Seth Rollins is going to fucking lose. Let's, Let's call a spade a spade, folks. There is a vacuum. There is a main event vacuum right now in the in the WWE roster. And this is the crazy thing. Like John Cena, they're saying he's battling injuries. He's uh, he's a little run down and he's pretty much running pretty on will. And this is real stuff, not wrestling related, just real stuff like injuries and little things. And I'll be honest, he needs to lose on Sunday. I mean, he needs to lose at night of champions and you need to take that opportunity to rest the face of your company and then what you should do is invest on creating someone new and no it's not just roman reigns as much as you want to feed everybody the roman reigns kool-aid i hate to break it to you guys but roman reigns is not quite there yet you know you're starting to develop his five moves of doom i got it But in terms of just being able to carry a match, being able to be a leader, the face of your company, it's not there. I hate to break it to you. It's not happening. Dean Ambrose is a guy that should be a main eventer. He should be your anti-hero. He'd be a great person to kind of groom for that role as a a modern-day Stone Cold Steve Austin. But if the dirt sheets are to be believed, they don't feel that a guy like Dean Ambrose is a credible main eventer. And that is just poor judgment. It is out of and and let's not even talk about your crop of guys in NXT because you have so much talent down there. But again, all that talent and then you bring them up to the main roster and you do nothing with them. 
the only guy right now, and and this is a guy who hasn't been damaged too much. He's just been dealt a very bad hand. Is Wade Barrett? Wade Barrett's probably the only guy that the company hasn't ruined completely. Wade Barrett is the only saving grace, the only constant that can probably come in and believably beat a champion at this level. But again, creative isn't going to invest that type of energy because the guy stays getting injured. But I'll be honest, if Wade Barrett came back and made a run at trying to challenge Brock Lesnar, it would probably be more believable than you know anybody else getting thrown in there. Mortis says they came close to ruining him with Bad News Barrett, though he made it work for him. And that's true. The Bad News Barrett gimmick, at first glance, was not good. But you know what happened? He made it work. And that is the mark of a true performer. The guys that are willing to eat shit to make a gimmick work. I mean, Damian Sandow's a great example. Right now, playing the stunt double for The Miz. But it's funny because he's been alluding to it on social media. Like, he's like... He has something bigger planned, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if creative is going to give him something new or put some vested, uh, put their resources back into him. But Damian Sandow is another guy that is a diamond in the rough. He's got good promo skills. His wrestling is good, but he's just relegated to comedy gimmicks. If you want to keep anybody in the comedy gimmick circle, it's Adam Rose. It's Bo Dallas. Um, Those are the guys you relegate to that. That's it. Now Val says that Wade Barrett can't carry a match. I don't I don't I don't feel I agree with you only because Wade Barrett needs to be in there with guys that are credible to deliver good matches. You're not going to get a good match out of Wade Barrett and Adam Rose. Why? Because neither one of those guys, it's like anything else. You need to have balance. You either need to have a good worker and a good seller or a decent worker and a and a and a better worker. That's it. You know, that's that's how it goes. Like, here's a good example. Dolph Ziggler. Great worker. But if you put Dolph Ziggler in there with certain guys, he just looks amazing because you bring a different level of 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 just talent out of a performer. Here's another good example. Sheamus. I'm sorry to say it. I don't understand the the WWE's love affair with Sheamus because Sheamus is fucking boring. He's a boring dude as a face. He is terrible. As a heel, he's pretty good, but again, he's another guy who his only selling point is that he's pretty much the same color as this business card, and he's a ginger. That's it. And and the problem is that, again, racial overcoats, because Becky Lynch, who they signed for NXT, before they gave her her current rocker chick gimmick, she was out there dancing the jig and coming out to Irish music, and they kept always mentioning her and Sheamus in the same breath. I said to myself, are they going to send her up to the main roster as Sheamus' sister or his valet? Because I'm sorry, Sheamus has nothing going for him as a performer. He's a good big man. You know, he's a good he's a good performer in terms of just ring ability. But his persona and just the way that he's being presented is complete shit. WWE has no main eventers to carry the company. If John Cena broke his leg tomorrow, they'd be fucked. Because what they'll do is they'd fast-track Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns' his, his entire career would bomb because they'd just try and shove him down everybody's throats and people would hate him immediately. I hate to tell you that. You can't force it. 
you need guys like Daniel Bryan, guys like Sami Zayn, guys like Kevin Steen, um, Seth Rollins, uh, Cesaro, hell, even Zack Ryder. And Zack Ryder, I'm going to get into um, my issues with what they've done with Zack Ryder in a, in a moment. So the first match of the evening was Dolph Ziggler and Sheamus taking on Cesaro and The Miz. And, of course, I just talked about all four of these guys in different capacities. But the thing that I liked about this match was that the wrestling was good, but Damian Sandow stole the show. Damian Sandow stole the show with, with minimal effort. I like the fact that they gave The Miz a makeup artist. I like the fact that, you know, Damian Sandow is pretty much his stunt double. I like where they're going with this whole Hollywood persona. And it's funny because... I actually came up with that with Batista. If you guys remember with Hollywood Batista coming out and having a stunt double or having him come out in Drax makeup and all this stuff, I, I was I was there. I was there months before this shit happened. So not to say that I should take credit for it, but I'm just saying that we were we were thinking along the same lines at the time. And the beauty of this entire match was that the wrestling wasn't terrible, but it was the little things that made it work. I like that. Damian Sandow took off his coat. He said action, you know, like if he was coming into the scene. And then he ate the finisher, which was just completely silly. And, of course, Miz stealing the victory with the skull-crushing finale. A lot of good storytelling. A lot of little things that made that match work. And looking at all four of these performers, they each have something to offer in a different capacity. But I will say this. Your bona fide main eventers in that entire match are Cesaro and Dolph Ziggler. Sheamus and The Miz should really carry the mid-card. Like, I like The Miz being in the IC title picture or the US title picture because he's he's able to bring something to that to that level, to that mid-card. The Miz's champion is only beneficial if you really invest a lot of energy into it and you give him a better finisher. Because that skull-crushing finale, which is pretty much the equivalent of Jeff Jarrett's stroke, is terrible. And his use of the figure four, while it's nice to see, has done nothing for his character. Just little things I got to put out there. So, we get some Nikki Bella promos throughout the evening. And um, they were, without a doubt, some of the worst things I've ever seen. I'm sorry to tell you guys, but nothing about this feud with the Bellas has done anything to make me like them more. And you know what's crazy? That they... Here's the thing. Both ladies have... They did improve in the ring. They weren't terrible. But I will say this. The fact that Brie Bella did not look comfortable with Stephanie McMahon in the ring, and, um, you know, Stephanie McMahon hadn't wrestled in 10 years, and, and Stephanie McMahon looked like a better performer out there. It's just it's just something that I feel is just they're forcing this feud into like a really weird they're forcing it into a really weird territory involving um, the, the Divas champion and all this stuff. And I'll get into that a little later. But I just felt that seeing that throughout the night. Oh, my sister took my boyfriend from me. And, you know, I never told anyone that it's like ugh, you never told anyone you knew how to cut a promo either. And you still can't get out of here. But, again, we'll go into that a little later. We get a, uh, a match with Layla, Summer Rae, and Cameron. And um, they were taking on Rosa Mendez. Uh, who the fuck else was in that match? Pretty much the entire cast of Total Divas taking on 
the chicks that may or may not be in a a season of Total Divas in the near future. The match was a complete clusterfuck, and um, it it was terrible. It was terrible. Other than Naomi getting her spot in, the match was just god awful. Really was. It was terrible. So let's move into the uh, the the tag team of Destination XL, uh, the Big Show and Mark Henry taking on the Wyatts. I really don't understand how you can continuously bury the Wyatts every week. As much as I think that the Big Show and Mark Henry would make a good tag team, I do feel that there's no necessity to derail the Wyatts at this point. I I like the way they did it this week because it was a DQ ending. It didn't hurt anybody, but the damage was done in that six-man tag match with John Cena last week. It wasn't a terrible match. It It was a little slow, a little methodical, but it worked, but it's not what the Wyatts should be doing. The Wyatts should be holding the tag team titles hostage. They shouldn't even win the titles. They should just come into a match, steal the titles, and that's it. They should just be a disruption in the tag team division. They should just be a a group of guys that have no agendas other than cause chaos and mass destruction. That's what they need to be. Instead, they're relegated to playing second banana to guys like John Cena, Big Show, and Mark Henry instead of utilizing them for the anti-heroes that they are. I continue to stress this. Guys like Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family are very, very important to this new generation of WWE. They're, they're important to this new generation of WWE fans because the fans are more educated. Let the fans pick who they root for and who the fans boo instead of just trying to really manipulate them. Because as much as we cheer and boo the way we feel... The company is still manipulating us anyway with different things. But still, don't take guys like the Wyatts and turn them into caricatures of themselves after having them be such a strong force the last couple of months. It's not doing those guys any favors. And I hate to say it, it's, it's just poorly, poorly done. So, Curtis Axel took on Jack Swagger in what was pretty much a glorified squash. And I feel bad for Curtis Axel. Because as soon as you lose uh, Ryback, Curtis Axel becomes glorified jobber fodder. The only decent thing that came out of it was the fact that Bo Dallas actually had a decent segment. I'm not a fan of Bo Dallas as a whole, but I think that it was probably one of the strongest showings. Now, do I think a feud with him and Jack Swagger is going to light the you know light the, the the ring on fire? Not in the least. But I think it's a it's a you know a decent stopgap after that that Rusev feud pretty much just fell apart. Now taking a guy like Mark Henry and the Big Show and trying to put him in the tag team picture, and then on top of that throwing Mark Henry into this feud with Rusev, there's just too many moving parts and not enough focus where it needs to be. Like Jack Swagger, you have this guy, the crowd is into him, they're into the We the People chant. You need to kind of capitalize on that, and you need to do a long-term program with Rusev at this point. Rusev and Mark Henry, you're obviously going to put Rusev over, and the problem with that is that, again, it hurts Mark Henry's stock. Uh, with Swagger and Rusev, even if Jack Swagger were to lose in the feud on a, on a, you know, on a different level in the sense that, like right now, he lost that submission match, but he passed out. 
He didn't lose clean. And then the other match that he had with Rusev ended with, you know, pretty much the ref stopping the match. There's a good story there. There's the whole uh, U.S. versus Russia, the the patriotic hero, the, the, you know, Zeb Coulter delivering great promos. There's so much more that could be done, but instead you toss Jack Swagger into a feud with Bo Dallas, who, yeah, I understand that he's got his little Bo Leaf catchphrase and people are into that shit, but it's not it's not something that's it's almost like a step back putting swagger in a feud with Bo Dallas at this point. I'd, at this point, Bo Dallas feuding with anybody that's not a lower card guy isn't doing him any favors because everybody else that they put him in there with, it just it just looks silly. That's all I'm saying. Slick says Bray Wyatt has the most positive crowd reaction in the WWE right now. I can agree with that statement 100%. Definitely could. So I want to talk about this Titus O'Neil-Adam Rose match for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, it was completely out of the out of left field. And then you had the rabbit attack Heath Slater, which I guarantee you guys is going to lead to Adam Rose and the Bunny versus Slater Gator. It's going to happen. Now, the only thing I can hope for is that you unmask the bunny and it's somebody who's going to be in a tag team with Adam Rose. Otherwise, it's just a piss poor segment that does nothing for anybody involved. I swear the rabbit better be Zack Ryder or or somebody of note. Otherwise, this entire exercise is going to be worth donut donut. That's what it's going to be worth because you take Slater Gator They're They're mildly engaging. They're not terrible, but if you're not doing anything with them of substance, then they're just going to take up space, which leads me to Zack Ryder and Rusev. So Zack Ryder and Rusev, pretty much glorified squash match. Um, Zack Ryder went on Twitter and he said, yeah, Rusev crushed me again. And the funny thing is that they're saying that he was punished due to some commentary he made on Twitter much like JTG was punished for his commentary on Twitter. Now, the thing that bothers me about this is I understand guys like Zack Ryder, they're frustrated, they're annoyed, whatever. Instead of punishing these guys, why don't you put these guys up to the cha- uh, up to the challenge and you tell them, "Listen, you think you're being misused, you think you're being underutilized, go out there Prove that you deserve to be on TV and earn your spot. Otherwise, leave it alone. Because seriously, punishing this guy because he was a little outspoken on social media, there's it, it's stupid. What does that gain? He's already been destroyed by Rusev before, so what? what's any different about putting him out there now? The minute I saw this match, I said to myself, what did Zack Ryder say that got him put in this match? Because think about every guy that Rusev has beat, you rarely see him in the ring with them, especially if he squashed them already. It just doesn't happen. You don't see him in the ring with R-Truth again or Xavier Woods or any of these guys. No, you don't see that. He just moves along. But yet, Zack Ryder gets to be the recipient of an ass whooping. Why? Because he's pissed off about his spot? I'm sorry to say, but WWE creative, Zack Ryder has a right to be pissed off. The guy created his own persona on YouTube. He made it work. He had some of the highest views on YouTube to date. On top of that, the crowd was into it. 
he was over. Hell, he was ma- pre- pretty much main eventing with John Cena during that entire Kane debacle. Like, like you had a stamp of approval on Zack Ryder, and all of a sudden, because you weren't the vehicle that made him successful, you decide that it wasn't worth investing energy into him. It's crazy to me. Because Zack Ryder, his wrestling is good. It's pretty passable. The crowd is still moderately into his gimmick. But instead, you send him out there to be squashed by Rusev, who, by the way, for as impressive as he's been, the minute Rusev loses, if creative doesn't know what to do with him, he's going to suck. The minute that Rusev loses, any momentum you have, you're going to need to do something massive to make it work. Otherwise, he's just going to be a for, another foreign heel who just takes up space. That's it. See, if you remember when Umaga was being uh, managed by Armando Estrada, he was, run, he was on a tear through the company. Then he met John Cena. Of course, Umaga did lose, but even afterwards, he was still a threat. He was still in the title picture for the foreseeable future. It wasn't until afterwards that obviously after he passed away that I put two and two together and I said, you know what? Umago probably would have become champion at some point. That's the problem. A guy like Rusev, you're going to build him up and build him up and build him up. Then he's going to run into the wall that is John Cena and then he's going to lose. Now, I'm going to give you guys a crazy idea. And either you're going to say, Rich, you're insane and full of shit, or you're going to say, hey, that would work. All right. Bear with me. Stick with me a moment. Let's think about this. John Cena loses at night of champions. Paul Heyman is out celebrating with Brock Lesnar, talking about that the WWE has no one left to, to challenge him. They have no one left to stop the one in 21 and one. All of a sudden, Lana comes out with Rusev. Now, a couple of things can happen here. You can make Brock Lesnar a face without even trying. That's number one. Number two, you would give Brock Lesnar a guy that is on a tear. And even if, even if Rusev lost, lost, loses to Brock Lesnar, it does, him, it does him very, you know, it does him well to work with a guy like Brock Lesnar because it's something we haven't seen. I'm serious. Think about it. Paul Heyman's out there. Let's let's be realistic. Nobody's going to challenge Brock Lesnar that can believably look like they can beat him. It's not going to be Jack Swagger. I hate to break it to you. It's not going to be Seth Rollins because they're not going to want to derail Rollins. Cesaro would be a great choice, but management has dropped the ball. But Rusev would be good because in that in that match, Brock Lesnar could be the face without even being a face because Rusev could come out and Lana can be like, you know, you talk about the beast incarnate, blah, blah, blah. He's never fought a guy like Rusev, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you can get a good strong style match. Excuse me. You can get a good strong style match without even trying. And yes, Rusev will have to lose, but at least Losing to Brock Lesnar would hurt his stock less than losing to John Cena because at the end of the day, most of the guys that get in the ring with John Cena lose anyway. That's all I'm saying. I will say, though, that Zack Ryder punishing the guy for being a little outspoken, instead of punishing him for that, you should put him out there and make him earn his spot. 
instead of just, oh, we're just going to get you jobbed out. It's craziness. The only good thing was, you know, Mark Henry comes out, talks about opening the international wing for the Hall of Pain. I definitely think that's going to be a good match between him and Rusev, just because it's going to be a a strong style, hard-hitting match. And obviously, he's going to beat Mark Henry, and it's going to raise his stock a little more. But I don't have a problem with the feud. I just feel that Mark Henry's being pulled in too many directions. That's all. So, let's talk about Stephanie McMahon coming out, Nikki Bella coming out, Brie Bella coming out. All of a sudden, I hate you, I hate you, blah, blah, blah. And then AJ comes out. So AJ coming out and interrupting the segment was fantastic. It was it was very good because she saved us from that terrible, terrible diarrhea that was on our screen. Seriously, that entire exchange between the Bellas and Stephanie McMahon was cringe-worthy. But bringing AJ into the mix added a, a level of, of, of intrigue for a couple of reasons. AJ comes out, gets in the boss lady's face. Then you have, you know, Nikki Bella in there, Brie Bella in there, and then Paige comes out, she gets involved. A lot of interesting things came out of this. Number one, we didn't have to endure any of the any more of the Bellas talking, which was great. But the other interesting thing is that you have a potential fatal four-way for the Divas Championship, and here's a crazy notion. I have a nagging suspicion that Stephanie McMahon may try to compete for the Divas title. I it just it just felt very weird that entire exchange, but I wouldn't be shocked if it happened. Even if it even if it happened to the degree that Nikki Bella would help her win so that she could get the title and thus Nikki Bella would screw Bree out of getting the title in the process. I could see that happening, but I I liked I like the way things kind of started taking shape, even if, it was, even if it was at the expense of those stupid um, video packages with Nikki Bella throughout the evening. I did like what was there and what was being teased. I felt that there was definitely something there, and it might be good, but it could also be very, very bad. I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment for the time being until next week, and we kind of see how this takes shape. Because seriously... We could get a fatal four-way, or we can get Stephanie McMahon wrestling actively. Not all the time, but on a decent basis. And honestly, I think it's interesting to see, because right now the Divas division is segregated into two types of of Divas. Total Divas, everybody else. I understand you got your whole focus on Total Divas, but everybody else is what performs on a weekly basis that people tune in for. I sincerely doubt that anyone's tuning in for Rosa Mendez, Summer Rae, and Layla. I hate to break it to you, it's not happening. Simple as that. Anyway, Jimmy Uso took on Goldust in a very, very solid match. I really do like where they're going with uh, heel Goldust and, um, you know, heel Goldust and heel Stardust. There's definitely something there. I like it. I like where they're going with it. I just hope that if you're going to put the belts on Goldust and Stardust, that you give them a fairly decent run because I think that they're a unique tag team that the crowd is kind of into and you could have a lot of fun with, but don't make it flash in the pan where they beat the Usos and then a month later they get the belts back. 
don't don't do it because it's going to hurt both teams in the long run. I will say that the Usos have become popular in such a way that they don't even need the belts anymore. And as soon as they come out, people are going to be into them anyway. Like kids like their entrance. The face paint is cool. Um, you know, doing the Siba towel before they come out. All of that stuff is great. And that just shows that they're bigger than the belts right now. The belts are just props for those guys because they're fairly popular versus guys like Goldust and Stardust that people like them, but a tag team run would definitely help them out. That's all I'm saying. So our, our last match of the evening, of course, Kane, Randy Orton, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, John Cena, and Chris Jericho. Um, again, I didn't like that this was pretty much Super Cena all the way. I also didn't like the fact that Seth Rollins was made to look like a bitch to close it out. And in addition to that, and I mentioned this in my three R's column, that John Cena was pretty much, he pretty much said to Triple H, it wasn't Superman, it wasn't Chris Jericho, it was me. I did everything. I beat everybody. I didn't like it because you just really made Roman Reigns and Chris Jericho an afterthought, even though they were on equal footing with John Cena prior to the match. In addition to that, I really didn't like that Seth Rollins pretty much got bitched out at the end of that match because if you're going to do anything, do it to Kane who, you know, getting bitched out or not bitched out doesn't hurt him in any way. You have a guy that's a future WWE champion with a money in the bank briefcase and instead of trying to do right by him, you got him out there getting just played every week when John Cena is involved. And again, This goes back to something I wanted to talk about last week. Vince McMahon is pretty much in charge of John Cena's booking because he feels that Cena is weak. He doesn't want Cena to look weak after the loss to Brock Lesnar. You got your ass kicked. You're supposed to look weak. On the contrary, I would have kept Cena off a TV until a week before Night of Champions as he rested and recuperated from his injuries sustained in the match with Brock Lesnar. I would have done that brought him back the week before, allowed him some TV time, involved him a little bit, and then have him go in there, lose to Brock Lesnar, and then have them say, you know what, John Cena hadn't fully recovered from his injuries, but he went out there, he had a gutsy performance, but Brock Lesnar was just too much. And then you take that opportunity to write Cena off of TV and move the move the angles forward without him for at least three months. And then when John Cena comes back, you get the big pop, The crowd is into it, everyone's excited, and nobody hates John Cena anymore. On on the contrary, we're at the stage right now where, no pun intended, we've seen enough. Everybody's tired of John Cena, everybody. From the oldest fan to the youngest fan, we're tired of the shit. Because he's, he's, he's treading water, he's doing nothing of substance. So write him off. That's it. Write him off. Even if you write him off, like I said, for a month or two, even three months, and that's a stretch, but maybe you write him off until Survivor Series. Then you bring him back as one of the participants in a, in a traditional Survivor Series match. That way he's well-rested. He, you, know, you can put the focus on some other guys, and that's it. Instead, you have him out there. You're trying to make him this larger-than-life character, and you're sacrificing all your up and coming per- all your up and coming future performers to put Cena over. Cena doesn't need to be put over. He's established as it is. And I see that Isaiah is saying I still love him. LOL. 
And you know what? It's I, I like that you say that, and I respect you for for being a fan through thick and thin. But honestly, and and you and you can answer this honestly. Don't you think that keeping Cena off of TV to sell Brock Lesnar's injury, uh, Brock Lesnar's beating, is the right thing to do? As a fan of John Cena, don't you think it's the right thing to do, Isaiah? Seriously, answer me. Answer me that. As a fan, don't you think that the overall product is more important than putting over one guy? I'm curious. I'm curious to see, and I look. I look forward to your response. So. Uh, definitely share it when you get a chance. But overall, Raw wasn't terrible. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't terrible. Terrible was last week. This week, mediocre. Not shitty, but not mediocre. I mean, um, not shitty, but mediocre, I should say. That's it. I mean, like I said, take a moment, create a new star, even two. And then take the opportunity to build those new talents. Think about it. Daniel Bryan, let's be realistic. If he comes back before 2014 is over, it would be a shock. It would be a shock to all parties involved if Daniel Bryan comes back before 2014 is over. So think about it. Instead of worrying about Daniel Bryan, think about, you know, moving up Cesaro, pushing him. Um... Maybe Adrian Neville, when he, if he loses the belt at NXT TakeOver, you bring him up. You start grooming him for the main event. You start investing more energy into, into Ambrose. You start investing more energy into Rollins. Because the, the Randy Ortons, the Canes, the John Cenas, uh, the Mark Henrys, the Big Shows, the clock is running out for those guys. Guys like Mark Henry, if Mark Henry wrestles two more years, I would be shocked. And the big show, he's been ruined and, and derailed so terribly that to look at the big show as a viable contender at this point, just it just doesn't it just doesn't work. So instead of doing that, build up what you got. You have good talent. You have over six hours of programming, not even counting the network. You got three hours on Raw, two hours on SmackDown is five. And if you want to get even crazier, you got an hour of superstars and an hour of main event. So you got seven hours of television. You mean to tell me that in those seven hours, you can't create a new star? You can't invest energy into putting over a guy like Cesaro, who's a, who's a great competitor and a great storyteller? Seriously. Even, even Ryback, as much as people shit on Ryback, when Ryback was at the top of the food chain, when he was getting all those massive pops... That's when you had yourself a guy that you could groom for the main event. Instead, you do the crazy heel turn, you make him a bully, even though you're doing an anti-bullying campaign, and you just derailed all that work you put into a guy who had the potential to at least, at least be a main eventer for a couple of months. But, again, I digress. Let's talk a little bit about TNA this week. Now that TNA has switched to Wednesdays, I can actually talk about it at length, and it, it, it shocks me to say that TNA has been delivering consistently better wrestling over the last couple of weeks. I mean, all the shows in New York have been tremendous. 
tremendous. And on top of that, even though the company's future is uncertain, their future on Spike TV is uncertain, the fact is that they have some solid performers out there. I want to talk about, even in the opening segment, you have your faction of Bobby Lashley, MVP, and Kenny King. They come out, they're talking shit. Um, MVP cuts a, a masterful promo about how, how Bobby Lashley's the baddest man on the roster, the baddest man in the city, the baddest man on the planet. This, of course, brings out Samoa Joe. And I'll be honest, when Samoa Joe came out, I was hyped. I was definitely hyped because I felt that this is prime time for Samoa Joe to be to get the spotlight because Samoa Joe is such an such an he has such a knack for delivering not only great matches but passionate and emotional promos and he just continues to be underutilized that when he came out and him and Lashley scrapped it was good and the fact that it led to a match later on was even better definitely a great opening for for TNA Impact and again taking advantage of a guy like Samoa Joe was the smartest thing they did to start the night. The knockouts title match between Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell, as much as Taryn Terrell gets shit on for her work in WWE, I will say her work with Gail Kim continues to impress. It was it was very good. I will say that the commentary between Taz and Mike Tanay was complete dog shit for that match and really ruined it because they spent a whole bunch of time shilling the the knockouts calendar instead of focusing their attention on a match where we had a spot where there was a neck breaker on the steel steps, which is crazy. There was a neck breaker on the steel steps. You don't see that in a fucking Divas match. Everybody marked out. I marked out here. I was like, holy shit, that's the craziest shit I've ever seen because it was ridiculous. But instead, we got to talk about the knockouts calendar. We get it. They're hot. You got a calendar. But you also have a match that's on fire. It was great. It was a great match. And the fact that the crowd was chanting better than the Divas was amazing. If you if you want, do yourselves a favor or Slick, if you get a chance, see if you could put up that match and put it in the chat room only because I don't think I have my uh, my picture-in-picture set up for that. But as I said, you know, th- this this is one of those instances where you you see this match and you say to yourself, this is what women's wrestling should be. You know, the same spots that the guys do, but just better storytelling. I was very impressed. Plus, um we finally got to see the debut of Havoc. Um Havoc of course has a pretty big following on the independent scene, uh Jessica Havoc, and the funny thing is that when I saw it, I was like, wow, Havoc looks, that's going to be a pretty cool dude when he debuts. I didn't know it was her. And when I saw her come out post-match to beat up Gail Kim and Taryn Terrell, I was like, well, shit, that's a pretty badass, pretty badass looking chick. She has a cool gas mask, just completely awesome looking. It was good. It was definitely a solid debut. It, It adds another face to the knockouts division, which considering that they got the beautiful people, Taryn Terrell, um, Gail Kim, her, uh, they, they dropped the ball by letting ODB go, which is crazy. You know, you got to start building up that knockout division. And I think they got a pretty decent, ta- a decent roster of women right now that they could take that to the next level. Anyway, 
we got some angle advancement with Ethan Carter the third, Rockstar Spud and Rhino. I, I have to admit that seeing Rhino back on TV is cool. I, I like Rhino. I like um, what he brought, what the intensity he brings to the ring is always good to watch. I know a lot of people feel that he's one dimensional, but Rhino has a place even now in professional wrestling. Obviously, it's very easy to get the nostalgic ECW pop, but I think Rhino can go out there and still deliver some decent matches. And I think his feud with Ethan Carter III has done wonders, not only for Ethan Carter as a performer, but it's also renewed people's interest in Rhino. Of course, this angle led to him feeding Rockstar Spud to Rhino later on in the evening. Our next tag team match, which I really liked, was um, Gunner and Sam Shaw taking on Bram and Magnus. Now, when Bram debuted in TNA, I'll, I'll admit I was not a fan. I felt that he was kind of lame, but he's he's grown on me because he's just such a crazy-looking dude. He always looks like the Wolfman when he's out there with Magnus. I like that they're going with the whole English hooligans, ass-whooping, you know, you know ass-whooping, dispensing vibe that they have, and I like that. I do think that Sam Shaw's character just seems so out of place right now that he might be a guy that needs to get repackaged. Him coming out there as like the crazy, uh, semi-dexterish, PTSD-having dude, it just doesn't work. It really doesn't work. Bram and Magnus, though, I honestly feel that the way they conduct themselves and the way they work, they would they would definitely make a great addition to the WWE roster, especially a guy like Magnus. Magnus has the look, the charisma, his mic work is good, and this is a guy that he debuted as a gladiator with a really shitty gimmick. Of course, um, Nick Aldis, who was Magnus, came from American Gladiators, but the initial gimmick that he had was just shit. And now that he's been in TNA for so long, he's got a title run under his belt, he's seasoned, uh, he's had great runs with the tag team titles. I think a guy like Magnus in the WWE would definitely be worth seeing for sure. I mean, I know Bram used to be in the WWE. He got cut loose. Um, of course, he's married to Charlotte, or he dates Charlotte from NXT, and um, he actually was in her Ice Bucket Challenge, if I remember correctly. Anyway, Bram and Magnus are an incredible tag team together. I like I like the intensity they bring. Um, I like just the, the, the wrestling that they deliver, but I do feel that Magnus would do pretty well in the WWE. Like I said, uh, good-looking dude, well-spoken, uh, had, a, had a TNA title run, and again, if you're trying to grow the WWE in the UK, you got a Wade Barrett already. I think a guy like Magnus would do well on on that side of the uh, on that side of the roster. That's all I'm saying. So Val says Rhino is awesome. Period. He hasn't burned himself out. He spent a good amount of time out of the ring, and if he isn't rusty, could be good for TNA. I agree a hundred percent. Um. Your number one contenders match between Bobby Roode and Eric Young was incredibly entertaining. I liked a lot of the wrestling in there. I liked a lot of the the spots that were done. And it's very easy for people to say, oh, Eric Young shouldn't even be in your main event with TNA. But you know what? The guy's been with the company from the beginning. I remember when he was part of Team Canada. I remember when he ran that crazy world elite faction with um, Sean Devari and all those guys in Homicide. Um, Eric Young has been a staple in TNA from the beginning, and I think that rewarding him for his hard work and giving him an opportunity in the main event is okay. Again, it was a short-lived experiment, but it worked. I also feel that Bobby Roode is another just untapped talent that doesn't get enough credit because he has the complete package, good wrestling, 
good promo work, and he just has the right level of intensity to just look believable out there. Bobby Roode is another guy that if TNA were to cut him loose, he would fare pretty well in the WWE if he is written correctly. Just saying. Um, Val says, EY is a solid wrestler and his time as head of World Elite was too short-lived. I agree. I thought World Elite was at the top of the food chain during their run and they cut that short real quick. But that's a, that's a separate thing. So, I want to talk about this number one contenders match for the X Division title because it's low-key, homicide, manic, DJZ, Tigre Uno, and Crazy Steve. Now, the reason I mention this is because these were the same guys that competed for a title opportunity two weeks ago. And I want to say, do you guys not have any more X Division guys? Do you not have any more? Because last time I checked... Robbie E competed in the X division. You could put him in there for a little bit. You know, Kenny King was in the X division. You could put him in there for a little bit. Like it just feels like we're seeing the same recycled X division matches every week, which is unfortunate because that is one of their most, uh, you know, that's TNA's premier attraction. And we're relegated to seeing the same seven guys. And even though homicide was the winner this week, and he gets a title opportunity against Samoa Joe. And don't get me wrong, I love Homicide. Homicide's a cool dude. I just feel that there's got to be more X Division guys out there. You you cut guys loose like Alex Shelley, um, Chris Sabin, Petey Williams. You cut all these guys loose. You let all these guys leave. And now you're relegated to having the same matches every week with the same guys. The only good thing that came out of it was James Storm and the Great Sonata, which I liked. Because I like what they're doing with Sonata because I'm actually I actually give a shit about his character now. I like that James Storm is like this evil uh Mr. Roper from from Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon mixed in with a little bit of Mr. Han from Enter the Dragon. Just a, a badass dude who has all these guys following his 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 vision. I like that with Sonata. I like the fact that he was spitting out the mist. I like seeing Tajiri come back, which by the way, is a huge blast from the past. And I liked that Storm and Sonata dragged Manic out and Manic is going to be converted to, you know, the, the ways of James Storm. I like that. I think James Storm being like the Gaijin manager and creating a stable of just international badass dudes is interesting. It's different. I mean, James Storm is a good wrestler, but seeing him as like, you know, like this Gaijin manager with, with, with guys like the great Sonata... Uh, maybe a guy like Manic, maybe you throw in one other guy for good measure. It's interesting and unique. And, you know, bringing in Tajiri uh, for, and adding him into the mix, he, uh, Tajiri's a great addition if you want to go X Division, but he also is a great addition to this feud because I think you have Tajiri and Sonata and their history based on uh, their Japanese promotion, and you also have just Austin Aries in there with a guy like James Storm who... For as much as people don't like James Storm, he's another TNA original that when when paired with the right guys, he delivers good matches. That's all I'm saying. As for Rhino and Rockstar Spud, Rockstar Spud pretty much got murder death killed by Rhino and um, EC3 walked out. So I have a feeling that this is probably going to be the end of the Rockstar Spud EC3 pairing. I, I'm curious, and I have a question, and maybe somebody can answer it for me. Um, Rockstar Spud, when he debuted in TNA, 
He was young. Uh, he looked really young. He was really brash. He looked good out there, but I just he looks weird. Like like maybe he has facial paralysis or he suffered a stroke. Something you know. It's terrible to say, but he just doesn't look the same. Can one of you guys maybe shed some light? Maybe I'm missing something. Did something happen to Rockstar Spud that he looks that way? Did he did he suffer a, a heart attack? Did something happen to him? I'm curious because he his face looks really really weird. So if anybody has any information on that, any any of our uh, fellow wrestlers on the independent scene that are familiar with his work or may know him, can you guys shed some light on that? Feel free to drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or um, on our Facebook fan page. I'm curious as to what happened with him because he just doesn't look the same as when they showed him winning the TNA gut check. So I'm curious about that. Val says, hopefully they don't turn it into serotonin, i.e. it goes nowhere in a month. This is true, but let's let's hope for the best here. Anyway, we got our non-title champion versus champion match between Lashley and Samoa Joe. And um, obviously this was done to send Bobby Lashley into the Bellator event with a good, um, you know, with a good lead and a victory. I do feel that the match with Samoa Joe was incredibly, incredibly solid. I like that it had a lot of MMA elements. And I also like the fact that Samoa Joe helped tell a really good story and put Bobby Lashley over. Now, I do want to say this. I would like to see a long-term feud between Samoa Joe and Bobby Lashley because I think there's tremendous uh, potential there for both guys. I think Bobby Lashley can benefit from working with Samoa Joe. And I also think that Samoa Joe getting a run with the TNA championship is, is well-earned and well-deserved. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, that wraps up our TNA Impact discussion. Let's get into the week's wrestling news. Um, first of all, I want to talk about the big story with uh, Jake the Snake, who was hospitalized after being found unconscious. Um, he was transferred to a Las Vegas hospital, and it seems that Jake the Snake, it wasn't drugs, it wasn't anything like that. So before anybody jumps on the drug bandwagon, I am pleased to report that, well, not pleased to report, but, you know, I'm pleased to say that um, it was not drug-related. Jake the Snake was dealing with a double pneumonia, and um, DDP shared on Twitter that they also found a mass on Jake the Snake's skull. Now, they're still diagno- they're still diagnosing that, and we don't know for sure if it's a tumor or anything malignant, but we do know that Jake the Snake was battling a double pneumonia. He was on a ventilator. Um, it was reported earlier this evening that he was off the, the ventilator and is doing fairly well. Um, I hope I hope Jake the Snake makes a speedy recovery. Um, I hate seeing superstars like him, legends like him, under you know under the weather because it's very easy to sit down and say, oh, you know, it's it's the drugs or it's the alcohol, but that was not the case in this instance. It was just pneumonia. But again, I wish Jake the Snake a speedy recovery. Um, I've been a, a fan of his work since I was a kid. His feuds with Rick Rude and Randy Savage were just some of my favorites. And I do think that Jake the Snake has a lot to offer. I think he would make a tremendous trainer in WWE. I think he can teach a lot of these up-and-coming heels the uh, you know, the, the, the mastering of promos, especially um, playing that deep psychological heel. Uh, Jake the Snake did it better than a lot of guys. And I think he has something to offer. So I wish him a speedy recovery and we shall see how he fares in the coming weeks. As always, we will keep you up to date on 
our Facebook fan page as well as on the show if we hear anything else. So, when I was talking about Raw, you know that I said that Naomi was back on television. And for those of you that were curious as to why Naomi's been off TV for so long, it's because she was still dealing with the injuries that she sustained from her orbital bone fracture. She actually had to get some minor surgery because she was still dealing with issues due to that orbital bone injury she sustained when she took that knee drop from Oksana a couple of months back. Um, definitely hoping that, that the surgery and, and any complications are behind her because I do think that Naomi is a tremendous addition to the Divas roster and I think she has a lot to offer the company and I wouldn't doubt that she would probably become champion sooner rather than later. I'm just saying that she, um, you know, definitely good to hear that she's, she's back on TV and hopefully any complications are behind her. Next bit of news I want to talk about, and I've talked about this individual before, it's um, uh, PWG CWH standout Willie Mack, who a lot of you guys know from the move set that I shared from YouTube. And um, Willie Mack, it's been reported that he is officially heading to WWE. Um, he fulfilled his last appearance with PWG. Um, and it was it was crazy just because Joey Ryan shared it. And, you know, that was the end, of course. WWE has been... On the has been rumored to be signing Willie Mack for months, but of course he's going to go through his medical testing, and allegedly from what's being reported, he passed his medical tests with flying colors and will be reporting to NXT sooner rather than later. As I've said before, I think Willie Mack is an interesting addition. Um, again, very big, very agile, um, has an incredible move set, uh, tremendous performer. I just hope that he just doesn't get called in and gets lost in the shuffle, much like what's been happening to guys like Big E Langston, who, again, show tremendous potential in NXT, come up to the main roster, and nobody knows what to do with them. Again, something that I will be watching very closely, but I'm happy to see Willie Mack get the opportunity to compete in the WWE. Where it goes remains to be seen. So, as much as I hate to even share this with you guys, um, it looks like the D, uh, the issues between the Bellas are going to take a step into uh, reality TV-ville as Jerry Springer will be on Raw next week and he will be moderating a discussion between the Bella Twins. It just It's just so terrible. Now, for those of you that are wondering why I didn't mention the Michael Sam thing, um, obviously the big news was WWE extending the invitation to Michael Sam and then Michael Sam being signed by the Dallas Cowboys, and the invitation still standing, but the focus not there as much as it was initially. The reason I didn't report on that was because, obviously, it's WWE's attempt at pop culture relevance, but I just felt that that added nothing to the segment whatsoever. Oh, look, they extended the invitation to a guy who's been in the news as of late. Thanks. Hooray. Now... The Jerry Springer thing, I understand where you want to go with it, but it's just it's just more Bella shit. You're taking away TV time from somebody else, and you're just going to give us a piss-poor Jerry Springer rip-off segment. It's just poor form. That's all I'm saying. So, if you've been watching WWE lately, you'll notice that when superstars come to the ring, they're coming out with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on their right next to their names 
If you notice, Tout is missing. Now, if you guys remember, Tout was a company that WWE partnered with who I had the pleasure of meeting at Blog World in 2012, and Tout was pretty much uh, ahead of its time in the sense that you were delivering short-form video messages which were easily shared on social media. Uh, WWE jumped on it and started using it. I used Tout for a little bit. I actually used it uh, during Hurricane Sandy, but after Instagram and Vine became popular, the relevancy of Tout pretty much went by the wayside. So, If you've noticed, Tout is no longer appearing in WWE programming, and that is because it appears that WWE's partnership with them is over. Originally, WWE invested $5,000 into the company in July of 2012, entering entering into a two-year partnership that actually placed Stephanie McMahon on Tout's board of directors. Now, you may have noticed, if you've been following the WWE Tout account, which I doubt you have, Uh, The last time that they used it was sometime in July. The NXT Tout account hasn't even been used since May. And WWE Talent haven't even used Tout either. So based on that, I kind of knew that the relationship was coming to a close. But now it appears that it is 100% official. And that is the end of WWE's relationship with Tout. I think that WWE was ahead ahead of the curve aligning with a company like Tout, but when you have such juggernauts as Twitter and Facebook, if you start using obscure services like that, it really doesn't do anybody any favors because the bulk of your audience is relying on things like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even Pinterest. I mean, Pinterest is is something that we use for My Take Radio and Rageworks, but it's a very, very unique social media um, platform because it's mostly just about sharing images and recipes and different things and it has its place and it's cool but it, it just, it's not gonna vibe it's not gonna connect with everyone like something like instagram which obviously now with the videos is really good uh vine of course which even though vine i stopped using for quite some time because i use instagram vine still has a place uh much like twitter and facebook but i think wwe is better served just utilizing the Twitter platform because it gives you real-time data and you have real-time engagement that you can actually use as part of your programming versus uh, something like Facebook or Instagram is good too. I mean, Instagram is a great way to give people a glimpse into your superstars' lives and also just give um, fans a glimpse into WWE from another avenue, you know, via another outlet. And in that in that respect, I think it's good. But I think that Twitter is probably the best relationship WWE has right now. All right. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Alberto Del Rio. Alberto Del Rio appeared on a press conference for AAA's Ring and Rockstars uh, event, which is going to be happening sooner rather than later. And here's the funny thing. Alberto Del Rio appeared in this event at this press conference, and he pretty much stated that WWE's non-compete was thrown out. Now, this could probably be attributed to a couple of things. Obviously, uh, Del Rio's um, situation with WWE on the grounds of racism and prejudice is something that is very, 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 very sensitive. And I think that considering how WWE cut Del Rio loose, I think it was the right thing for them to probably throw out his non-compete, especially if he was only competing in Mexico because... After after the, the, the stories that have come out about that incident with him, 
I do feel that they did Del Rio wrong. And if you were going to fire Del Rio, you should have fired the guy that made those racially insensitive comments as well. Otherwise, you suspend Del Rio, suspend the guy, and then bring him back. Either way, um, Del Rio will be involved with AAA. I believe he's going to be, uh, he's going by a new name. He's going by El Patron, and he will be competing in a six-man tag match or a trios match with La Parca and Mistesis, who used to be uh, the original Sin Cara in WWE. They will be taking on El Hijo del Pedro Aguayo, uh, Texano Jr., and... Um, they're, they're going to be involved in that match for the September 14th show. Now, the funny thing is, I was watching Del Rio, and you can see he was, he was happy. He, he had a lot of charisma, I got to admit. I didn't, I didn't want to punch. I didn't th- want to throw um, a shoe at the, at the screen when he was on, on camera because I think it was the language barrier. I felt that he, he was comfortable. He felt good out there. Um, just trying to promote his El Patron character. Uh, the crowd was into it. He had a really good response. And as much as I dislike Del Rio's run in the WWE and his persona in the WWE, it was it was refreshing to see that the guy had genuine enthusiasm in his work uh, working in AAA. It's unfortunate that it ended the way it ended, but I think if it was something where the performer is going to succeed more so in his home turf, then Del Rio definitely deserves that. There's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of rumors floating around that TNA's been reaching out to him. Of course, I'm not shocked because TNA tries to scoop up everybody with a decent buzz from WWE. Uh, excuse me, from WWE. But I will say that if Del Rio was smart, he would probably stay in Mexico, become a major star over there, and just hang out there. And maybe who knows? Maybe he might come back to WWE in the future. But I think he's he'll 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 fare better in Mexico. That's all I'm saying. Val says I've been telling you Del Rio was miserable in the WWE and his work in, at the house shows was good. WWE gimped him, which reflected in his work. You know what? I'll I'll, I'll give you the I'll give Val the benefit of the doubt, and I'll, and I'll say that he might be onto something. I just felt that Del Rio's character on TV was just so poorly done. Just Mexican JBL. It was it was shit looking like a like a cheesy Mexican soap opera actor and the minute that you yanked out Ricardo Rodriguez any stock that he had any redeeming entertainment value that he had was gone like this in the blink of an eye it was gone i wouldn't be shocked if Ricardo Rodriguez works in AAA with Del Rio i would not be shocked if that happens again if more develops on the story i will be sharing it with you guys as well all right so CM Punk is in the news this week, and I'm sure you guys are probably thinking, oh, maybe it's for good news. Nope, it is for bad news. CM Punk's lawyer sent WWE a 22-page letter regarding royalties that are due CM Punk for the use of his likeness and image in WWE 2K15. Now, the reasoning for this legal letter is because uh, WWE is not sending CM Punk royalty checks. And the reason is because they feel that CM Punk breached his contract after he walked out on the company. Now, CM Punk's inclusion in the game is because the game was developed prior to him quitting wrestling. And there was too much work done in the game to leave him out. Now, of course, there's no real specifics as to whether it's going to be a legal warning or just a complaint. 
But it's very interesting because CM Punk has been relatively quiet and WWE was paying his royalties, but then all of a sudden they stopped because of the rationale that they feel that he breached his contract. It's a very, very slippery slope because the argument could be made that WWE 2K15 was in development before he left. So take that for what it's worth. I, I do feel that it, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy yet, yet valid argument because if CM Punk isn't with the company and they're using his likeness, then he should be paid. You know, he should be paid for that. But on the flip side, you did walk out on the company. So if you did walk out, did you breach your contract? Maybe. I, you know, I don't know the specifics of WWE's contract structure, so I can't say for sure. But if you did breach, then they're not going to pay you. It's, it's, it's crazy. Val says, you know, he did because he had three months left on his contract. Again, just a very, very slippery slope in the CM Punk WWE saga. Now, where, where this 22-page letter leads, I couldn't tell you. Maybe it will lead to a showdown in court. Maybe it'll lead to WWE just paying out the royalties. Or maybe it'll just lead to them voiding out his contract, marking his fulfillment done, and just, you know, paying him for likeness. It remains to be seen. But I figured I'd share that with you guys because, again, 22-page letter, haven't heard from CM Punk in forever, and this is how you hear from him. It's it's definitely crazy stuff for sure. So the last bit of wrestling news I want to wrap up with involves Vince Russo. Now, many of you know that Vince Russo was uh, a, a factor in WWE's Attitude Era. He was involved in TNA. He was involved in WCW. Depending on what you say to fans, their, their reaction to Vince Russo is either admiration or genuine hatred. I fall into a category that's pretty much split because there were certain things that Vince Russo was involved in that were pretty cool. And then there were a lot of shitty things he was involved in as well. But in any event, Val says he's scum. But in any event, he actually wrote a very interesting open letter to Vince McMahon, Triple H, and Stephanie McMahon on his website. And the, the letter was pretty much offering advice on how to fix Monday Night Raw. So I want to share this with you guys because after reading it, it pains me to say that it made sense. Check this out. Dear Vince, Stephanie, and Hunter, first let me apologize for my rant last night on Russo on Raw. I'm Italian. I'm emotional. I'm sorry. I get that way sometimes. Come to think of it, you probably witnessed it firsthand in a galaxy far, far away many light years ago. The truth is, I hate to criticize Raw. I really do. Having been there and done that, I realize how difficult it is to come up with two hours of compelling content every week, let alone three. The job is not easy. I understand that, and nobody can be criticized for trying and giving their best effort. Nobody. But the question I have to ask is, is what we see every Monday night honestly and truly your best effort? I just know that having worked with all three of you in the past, I don't think any of us would have been satisfied or even allowed last night's show to air in its final form. Are we seriously not better than that? What happened to our mantra during the Attitude Era when this week's show was going to be better than last week's? 
Remember that, Vince? Wow. All right. I don't know what it is. I don't know the structure because I'm not there, but nobody, nobody can tell me that with a bit more effort, you couldn't be doing better than what we the people are being exposed to every Monday night. Look, we all love wrestling. We're all huge fans of the WWE, and in all truthfulness, we want to like the show. But you just make it so difficult. Asking anybody to sit through three hours of what you're currently putting on the air is not only asking too much, but it's also unfair. Look, I'm not going to tell you what to do or how to do it. Who am I? All I'm asking is that you all ask each other, is, what, is this the best that World Wrestling Entertainment has to offer its fans? If the answer is yes, then I guess I'm just, I've just overrated you. However, I think we all know that's not the answer. I don't think any of you can walk away from that building on Monday night honestly believing that you had just put your best foot forward. I don't believe that for a second. Right now, you have an unbelievable talent roster, up and down from the first match to the main event, but the writing and producing of the show is just not serving them justice. Amen. (laughs) You have to know that. What happened to the work ethic and the commitment that we all shared during the Attitude Era? What happened to that passion when we literally used to leave our own blood, sweat, and tears on that script that we wrote? If something didn't exceed our expectations, we were sick over it for days. I know I was. Vince, Stephanie, Triple H, yes. We will always be here no matter what. We support you and we support the WWE. But the truth is, we deserve better. And deep down inside, I know that you know that. With 1,000% sincerity, peace, your former head writer, Vince Russo. So... Let me let me go into this a couple of different ways, and I'm looking at the clock. I know it's 1.30, and we still got two segments to go. But I want to say this. Vince Russo's letter, whether you think it's disingenuous, whether you think it's some poorly veiled uh, shot at, w- at WWE, I hate to admit it, but what he felt is what I felt. I felt the same way last Monday. When before before I, I wasn't able to do the show and I was gonna do it, I said, "Wow, WWE has given us some shit," you know. But for 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 all the rights that Vince Russo alluded to, there are shitty things he was responsible for, and and that's fine. But I will say that what he said in that letter embodied what I as a fan feel. And I'll be honest when I tell you, we will never, ever get anything along the lines of the Attitude Era ever again. It's, it's everybody that wishes that to be the case. I hate to break it to you. The shit's not happening. The Attitude Era, every aspect of it from ECW, WCW and WWE, that was a once in a lifetime opportunity. It was special. It was something that we will remember as wrestling fans till the day we die. We're going to tell our kids about it. We're going to show our kids all the stuff that happened, and it'll be there for legions of wrestling fans to discuss, debate, and talk about for years to come. But let's think about this. When I was growing up in the Attitude Era, I was still thinking about all the cool shit 
from the golden age of wrestling. Think about this. Randy Savage being bit by the cobra that Jake the Snake had. The feud between the mega powers over Miss Elizabeth. You know, all that uh, Owen Hart and Bret Hart's feud. Uh, Shawn Michaels super kicking Marty Jannetty through the glass window. Zeus and Hulk Hogan. Sting and Ric Flair. You know, the... the um, the the Orient Express, the Killer Bees, Demolition, Legion of Doom, the Body Donnas. You know what I mean? Like that was stuff that I was thinking about during the Attitude Era because those were things that we weren't gonna see again. Like Hulk Hogan turning uh, turning heel. That was a once in a lifetime special moment. And I hate to say this, and I love the Attitude Era with all my heart, and I it, it was you know it was a part, it was instrumental in my in my in my youth from you know Stone Cold Steve Austin giving Austin 316's promo to you know the ascension of the Rock to the birth of Degeneration X. I was I was there. I grew up in that. But I will say this: that was then. This is now. Things change. We can't do that stuff anymore for whatever reason. And I hate that so many people make excuses for the Attitude Era and how we can still do that now. We fucking can't. Why? Because we're way too sensitive now. During the Attitude Era, we got away with a lot of shit. I mean, there was when we were when during the Attitude Era when they were on SmackDown and this and the and the network executive was Palmer Cannon, which is a which is a wordplay on Palm Cannon which is a wordplay on dick. You know, it's like that kind of stuff. You can't do that anymore because people are smarter. People are more in tune. And not only that, networks are more in tune with that shit. So please don't make, don't make excuses for the attitude era. And instead as fans, let's be more vocal in a positive way about what we don't like. I mean, don't get me wrong. I come on here and I shit on a lot of stuff, but you see this, what I do for you guys Every Thursday, that's my job. This is my second job. And as such, I got I to gotta create controversy. I got to create conflict. I got to create things that make you talk about all this stuff. Because that's what fuels the product. Wrestling is the same way. And as much as it pains me to say it, Vince Russo is right. I honestly think that WWE Creative cannot walk away from the table Monday night at 1130 and say to themselves, wow, that was the best Raw we did. Because it was shit. That Raw from last week was utter garbage. And this week was no better either. And that's the problem. We as wrestling fans are more intelligent. We're also more savvy on the business. And to a degree, that's hurt our enjoyment of the product. But we can also speak about it intelligently. And I like that Vince Russo referenced that in his letter. I can talk about W. I can talk about pro wrestling intelligently, and I don't have to break it down to saying this is a festering pile of dog vomit, and I pray to God that creative is set on fire and that nobody pisses on them to put them out. I can say that, and you know what? That's good, and it's funny, and it gets people talking. But I want to get you guys thinking. I want to get you guys debating because it's good for the product. That's what we need with Raw. We need Raw to be entertaining and engaging and fun and interesting so that when we talk about it, we can talk about all the cool shit and we can feel positive about what we what we just saw. Instead, you know, we're relegated to saying this sucked, that sucked. And, and you know what? 
I try. None of you guys can say that I don't try to find the good in the product. But sometimes it's just shit. Simple as that. It is what it is. But Vince Russo made some interesting points. We're going to see what happens. Hopefully next week will be better. Let's get into the remaining wrestling news to um, wrap things up. Um, As I mentioned to Ben earlier on in the MMA segment, I said that, um, and PW Insider and WrestleZone and Wrestling Observer have said this, that Bobby Lashley's future as TNA champion is reportedly in doubt just because of, um, you know, obviously Lashley is not currently advertised for the TNA Bound for Glory pay-per-view in Japan, but... That doesn't mean anything because Bound for Glory's TNA's WrestleMania, and that can change. But the problem is that TNA allegedly hasn't wanted to commit to advertising Lashley until after his MMA fight tomorrow. Because if Lashley were to lose in his return to MMA, then you your champion just got his ass beat on national television in a real sport. So um, it's interesting to see. But... Um, if Bobby Lashley loses tomorrow night on Bellator, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see if they do a title change for the next set of tapings in Bethlehem, PA, or if they go in a different direction. Maybe he'll get excommunicated out of the group with MVP and Kenny King. Who knows? Maybe they'll turn on him. It's gonna be very interesting. Maybe MVP will finally get that title run. It's gonna be very, very interesting. So if you're curious. As to what TNA's future with Bobby Lashley is, I recommend you watch Bellator tomorrow night to see how that unfolds. So, Val says um, that make it a little less about shitty racist gimmicks and make it about who's the better athlete shit talker. No arguments there with regards to wrestling. He also said, oh wait, that would be early, that would be early day TNA. Yes, sir. I agree with that. All right. So that wraps up our wrestling segment for this week. Let's get into some gaming news. Gaming is a little light, but there is quite a bit to discuss. So let's get that ball rolling, shall we? I know somebody asked me not too long ago why we haven't got a sponsor for the gaming segment. And um, I I got no answer for you, but... If you're interested in sponsoring My Take Radio's gaming segment, drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com, and we can give you guys some advertising rates. Anyway, so this week's gaming news, let's go into the first thing, which is a new update for Watch Dogs, which um, has a lot of fixes and enhancements, uh, new single-player features, new multiplayer features, including uh, the ability to hack your friends. Uh, they also fixed a lot of single-player bugs as well, and... Um, you know, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, the patch, of course, is available across all platforms currently. And I know a lot of the stuff people were really looking for. Um, increased player reticle radius, um, uh, button cycling, a lot of that stuff people were complaining about. And a lot of it has been fixed. Uh, the hacking of, of your friends was something that as soon as it was announced, I saw people on Facebook and Twitter talking about it quite a bit. So... If you've put Watch Dogs to to the side, definitely pick it up. Check out some of those player enhancements. Who knows? Maybe it'll breathe some life into the game. The other thing I wanted to talk about, and this was something that I wasn't able to talk about in detail last week, was Twitch's acquisition by Amazon. Amazon purchased Switch 
for $970 million. Uh, very interesting uh, for sure. I'm curious to see what Amazon does with Twitch, but I also feel that Amazon is trying to increase their presence in digital media to compete alongside YouTube and, of course, Netflix. Uh, definitely an interesting time and a good time to be an owner or an executive in Twitch and get a nice little payday. Um, as for us, we have two Twitch channels my Take Radio TV and Rageworks, and we're hopefully going to be doing more stuff with that in the future. Just that the uh, the launch of Rageworks has been a little bit uh, more lengthy than I would have hoped, but we're definitely going to be doing more streaming and stuff in the future. In any event, definitely uh, exciting times for Twitch, and we'll see how gamers benefit from their relationship with Amazon. If you are a fan of Disney Infinity, you will be pleased to know that uh, Big Hero 6, which hasn't even hit theaters yet, is going to be joining the Disney Infinity brand. Uh, Hero and Baymax will be included in the brand new Disney Infinity Toy Box 2.0. So when Big Hero 6 comes out in in November, you will probably be able to use Hero and Baymax in the brand new 2.0 Disney Infinity game, which... um, definitely looked really cool what i saw at the sweet sweet event uh was incredibly promising a lot of cool stuff there especially with the marvel license uh disney infinity 2.0 hit store september 23rd for ps4 ps3 xbox one 360 wii u uh pc ios tablet and smartphones uh ios excuse me and smartphones as well so seeing the addition of baymax and hero is not a shocker to me. I mean, Disney's definitely going to try and leverage all their big properties, all their big characters. So this this isn't a shock, but it's good to see as well. So if you're a fan of Big Hero 6 and you're also looking forward to Disney Infinity, definitely mark it down at, on your calendar and you'll be able to grab those characters and add them to the game as well. If you are a fan of Saints Row, which I actually am, I've enjoyed the Saints Row games. I've played them a little later than I would have liked, but they've always been extremely enjoyable. Well, Saints Row 4 is getting some brand new expansion courtesy of the Saints Row Gat Out of Hell standalone expansion, which will be released on PlayStation 4 in early 2015. The expansion will also be available on the PlayStation 3. Now, they're also going to release a next-gen enhanced version of saints row 4 called saints row 4 re-elected uh the gat out of hell expansion will be released with re-elected as a bundle in 2015 Uh, like i said that expansion will also be hitting ps3 on the same date so definitely very cool uh johnny gat and kinsey kensington are um pretty much they get sucked in the boss from the saints gets sucked into hell and johnny gat and kinsey kensington have to go into hell to rescue him um you'll be able to play as johnny gat and kinsey kensington for the first time in the franchise um it looks very cool the trailer was pretty awesome i will be sharing that trailer on rageworks.net for you guys to check out uh definitely looking forward to it myself like i said i've enjoyed the saints row games they're very they're very fun um for those of you that feel they're a straight gta ripoff just approach it with an open mind like i said it's a very fun game and i'm definitely going to be checking it out um i've been playing them on xbox 360 so i'm hoping that the remastered um expansions and the remastered versions of the game appear on xbox 360 or xbox one just because i've played the other games on there and i'm curious to see if those previous saves and achievements affect uh, the game in any way. Again, the Saints Row Re-Elected Bundle arrives January 27th, 2015, and the Gat Out of Hell expansion will be released in early 2015 as well. Another game that's li- that's 
a lot of people speak so highly of that I never got a chance to play was State of Decay. And it looks like State of Decay will be heading to consoles, being Xbox One first. Um, they're getting a year one survival edition. Microsoft and Undead Labs announced that they will be releasing that on the Xbox One in the spring. Uh, the latest version, the brand new version, will include a retail edition of the game, which will include enhanced animations and effects, as well as breakdown and lifeline DLC expansions, new mission types, and a bunch of other as yet unannounced new material. So there you have it. The game hit Xbox 360 in June, and then it jumped to Steam in September. Again, it's a game that a lot of people spoke highly of. I never got a chance to check it out, but um, maybe I'll finally get a chance to play it on Xbox One. If not, like I said, Xbox 360 has it, and Steam has it as well. But next-gen gamers, mark it down on your calendars. Early early spring 2015, State of Decay Year 1 Survival Edition will be arriving on the Xbox One. Uh, Dark Helmet, first Saints Row was a GTA clone. Later, Saints Row's got more comical. Absolutely, I agree. I mean, you know, it's it's just a welcome alternative to GTA. It's a fun game. Um, it has its own merits and it has its own pros and cons, but they've always been enjoyable games to me. So I know that there's a, a big argument about from GTA purists that, um, you know, Volition ripped off GTA, but... I think Saints Row has developed into its into its own identity, and like I said, it's a fun game, so I'm curious to see uh, what they do with the Get Out of Hell expansion pack. All right, so if you've been playing Watch Dogs, and I know Slick has in particular, you'll want to note that there is a brand new piece of DLC heading your way called the Bad Blood expansion, and that will be arriving September 23rd. Um, if you're a season pass owner or September 30th, if you do not have a season pass, the expansion pack will add 10 missions that will take place across new and pre-existing areas in Chicago. You're also going to get a new randomly generated street sweep contact, um, street sweep contracts, um, which of course are going to let you battle gangs in Chicago on your own or in co-op gameplay as well of course it's set up just after the conclusion of the single player campaign and focuses on the t-bone character who um you know just before he leaves chicago a friend calls him and um t-bone gets back into the mix so there you have it mark it down on your calendar september 23rd for the bad blood expansion for watchdogs so before we close things out um, Nintendo released some brand new direct uh, Nintendo Direct video footage for Bayonetta 2 on the Wii U. Um, of course, Bayonetta 2 is a Wii U exclusive hitting stores October 24th. And you're going to get some alternate costume skin options, much like the original Bayonetta game. Uh, you'll be able to dress Bayonetta as Princess Peach, Daisy, Link, and Samus Aran. So if you are a fan of the Bayonetta series and you're looking forward to it, mark October 24th down on the Wii U and you will be able to pick it up on your Wii U console. I'm hoping Bayonetta makes the jump to other consoles in the near future, not because I don't want to get a Wii U, but just because I did feel that Bayonetta was an extremely enjoyable game and I don't want to buy a console just to play it. So hopefully it will get a multi-platform release later on down the road. Uh, Slick says that T-Bone is a maniac and Dark Helmet says Saints Row 4 with the aliens and the Matrix feel was crazy. Slick then adds 
fuck Saints Row. And then Slick says there are tons of other reasons to get a Wii U. Slick, I do not disagree, but I've just, I got two brand new consoles that I haven't been able to play as much as I would like, and getting a third will not do me any favors. Don't get me wrong, the Wii U has a bunch of games I want, Mario Kart, uh, the Mario games, Donkey Kong Country, uh, the Octopus fucking shooting game that I saw um, at E3, which was tremendous, uh, Bayonetta 2, you know, I th- there's games I want. <laughs> there's definitely games I want. I, j- I just can't fucking do it. I can't. Not yet. Maybe for Christmas. I know that my my younger sister wants a Wii U as well. So maybe she'll get one. And then I can sneak downstairs and play it a little bit. But um, if not, maybe I'll grab a, a Wii U myself after the holidays. Once a couple of more games are out that I can mess with. And maybe once I'm able to get some, some more scheduling so I can play games on a more consistent basis. But... um. I do agree there's there's a lot of reasons to get a Wii U now, a lot of resurgence uh, for the console, so we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. But for the time being, I, I gotta invest more energy into the, 360, uh, the 360, excuse me, uh, the Xbox One and the PS4. Anyway, with that, that wraps up the gaming news for this week. It was a pretty light week, as I said at the top of the show, and a quick reminder, My Take Radio will be switching to twice a week, starting September 17th. Uh, the split will be as follows. Wednesday, September 17th will be MMA and wrestling themed episode. And Thursday, September 18th will be gaming and entertainment. We're going to probably throw a little bit of tech in there as well. All right, let's get into the week's entertainment news because there is quite a bit to discuss and we're probably going to be sprinting to the finish. Let's get to it. My Take Radio's entertainment segment is brought to you by SuperheroStuff.com. They're actually going to be doing um, a contest, a video contest, which is going to be running through um, Effective Now all the way through, I believe, the 15th. And you're going to be able to send Superhero Stuff your video and you'll be telling them in an exciting, unique and interesting way how Superhero Stuff has benefited you and what it's done for you. Of course, the winner will get a very, very uh, cool prize. I'm going to share all the notes for that in the show notes for this week. We didn't get a promo code for September yet. Obviously, Labor Day was a factor with that. But once we get the promo code, we're going to be able to share a promo code with you guys for the month of September. Of course, for the month of August, it was 14 radio to say 14% off. But for September, we don't have a promo code yet. But they are doing a very, very cool contest, which... um. We're going to try and share all the details with you, and they're going to be doing a ton of great sales to celebrate their 15-year anniversary. So again, our sponsor for our entertainment segment is SuperheroStuff.com, and we will be sharing more details about their contest in the show notes and on RageWorks.net in the coming days. Anyway, let's jump right into it. Um, It's 1.54 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Blog Talk Radio feed for My Take Radio goes off air at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you want to continue listening, watching, or chatting live, head over to mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv and you can continue to watch or listen to the live stream there. If not, archived episodes of My Take Radio are available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and of course on the official My Take Radio app. 
which is $199, available for Android, iOS, and Windows mobile devices. All right, so let's get into the big story, which is a, a, a casting rumor, which has become truth, which I've talked about at length. And of course, that involves Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, um, who is officially cast as Black Adam in the upcoming Shazam film from New Line. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with the Black Adam character, uh, the Black Adam is an enemy of Shazam, and pretty much uh, Teth Adam is similar in in powers and abilities to Shazam, just, of course, evil or an anti-hero, depending on how he's written. But um, very cool. Uh, Teth Adam of Kandak appeared in Marvel Family number one in 1945. He's been a hero and a villain. Again, pretty much all his powers are comparable to Shazam. If you want to see Black Adam in action, I recommend you pick up Injustice or you check out Injustice to get a feel for the character. But there's so many great stories involving Black Adam. My only concern with this particular film is the fact that, number one, no writer, director, or release date is set. Number two, they're not adding Shazam into the Mar- into the uh, DC universe established by Batman and Superman in Dawn of Justice. So... You know, the Zack Snyder established DC Universe is not going to be involved in the Shazam film, which is fucking stupid because Shazam is a big part of the Justice League, especially now in DC's New 52. In addition to that, if you're going to create a film based on the Justice League, Shazam should be part of it. But no, this is the problem with DC's cinematic universe. It's the fact that Marvel is creating synergy across the board um, between Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on TV and all their movies, excluding, obviously, the X-Men and Spider-Man. And the reason that this works is because you can work it different ways and still keep it all in the same sandbox. Marvel is doing, of course, Netflix series for Daredevil, Power Man, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and this is all leading to a Defenders uh, Netflix show. But again, this is all existing in the main Marvel universe. DC has their television universe with Flash and Green Arrow. Now they're creating this other side of uh, of, of the story with... Um, you know, Captain Marvel slash Shazam and Black Adam, yet none of it is tying into what matters most, which is the cinematic universe that will lead to Justice League. And this is one of the things that has been pissing off DC fans, myself included, left and right. You have all these exciting projects, yet all of them are segregated. The only thing that shouldn't be in the same universe should be Gotham, and that's only because you're talking about young Bruce Wayne, and you're doing all this stuff, and it's and it's different, and that's fine. But Arrow and The Flash should exist in the same... 90 seconds. 90 seconds, for those of you on the Blog Talk Radio feed. It should, ex- it should exist in the same universe. It's annoying as all hell. But I am curious to see The Rock playing uh, Black Adam because he looks like him, he has the build, and he has the charisma to make the character work. All right, as I said, the Blog Talk Radio feed will go off air probably in about 60 seconds. You can continue listening, watching, chatting, and of course you can call in 60 seconds by heading over to MTR Live or GFQLive.tv. You can also continue listening to the audio stream via Mixler, Mixler.com forward slash MyTakeRadio. There's also a Mixler player on our Facebook fan page for Rageworks and our Facebook fan page for MyTakeRadio as well. All right, so... 
This next bit of news on the Marvel side of things has been picking up some steam, and uh, Collider actually added a little bit more fuel to the fire with the rumor that Joaquin Phoenix is in final negotiations to play Doctor Strange. Now, see, the Doctor Strange rumor is very interesting because on one side, they're saying Joaquin Phoenix is close to getting the role. On the other side, they're talking about the guy that plays Richard Harrow on Boardwalk Empire being in the running for that role. Now, personally, I, as much as I like Joaquin Phoenix, and I think he's a, he's a tremendous actor, I think that Doctor Strange should be played by somebody just a little younger because it would allow that person to grow into the role. I mean, don't get me wrong. If he wouldn't have played Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. would have made an awesome Doctor Strange. Not only because he looks like him, but he has the right amount of arrogance and charm to pull off the Doctor Strange character. Joaquin Phoenix, I'm a little, I'm a little unsure of a, of a thespian like Joaquin Phoenix playing the Sorcerer Supreme, but the rumors are getting pretty strong. Doctor Strange is currently scheduled for release July 8th, 2016. I'm curious to see what you guys think of that casting. Feel free to share your thoughts in the chat room, and I will pose a question on our Facebook fan page as well. On the small screen side of things, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, the Green Arrow series, which is getting more and more uh, interesting by by the second. Uh, the next character we're going to be seeing straight from the comics is the character of Carrie Cutter, who, who is the character Cupid. Um, she's going to be played by Amy um, Gumenek, who was uh, Mary Winchester uh, in uh, Supernatural. She also was on AMC's Turn. Um, Cupid is an interesting character because she is like a like a Green Arrow super fan that kind of also ends up becoming like a stalker. Uh, very interesting character. She's appeared on the DC Nation shorts on the Cartoon Network. So, you know, seeing her in Green Arrow is just the next stage. The other character who we're going to be seeing is Ra's al Ghul uh, or Ra's al Ghul, depend- depending on how you pronounce it. Um, originally... Liam Neeson said in an interview that he would love to reprise his role of of Ra's al Ghul on the Arrow TV show. And a lot of people were marking out about that. They thought that would be really cool. Turns out that that is not going to be the case as much as we would like that to be. Uh, They actually ended up casting someone else. Uh, Matthew Nabel, who you may have seen in Killer Elite and Riddick, will be portraying Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul, depending on how you pronounce it or who's pronouncing it. He will be playing that character uh, going forward. Of course, um, the uh, Nisa al Ghul appeared in season two of Arrow, so it's obviously inevitable that Ra's would be appearing as well. Now, I'm curious if they're going to go and have... um, Talia appear as well, but you never know. But definitely a very, very interesting time to be a Green Arrow TV series fan. But again, that will be arriving on television October 8th on the CW. Of course, we we here at My Take Radio, myself, my wife, and uh, John Blade, big fans of the Arrow TV series. Incredibly enjoyable. Um, the first season, definitely not the best, but that second season, holy shit, with Slade Wilson and Deathstroke, uh, tremendous, definitely check it out, it is on Netflix if you haven't, um, incredibly enjoyable. Now, the next bit of uh, entertainment news uh, I, I want to get into, and this is crazy, and it kind of falls into the what the fuck category, and this is a TV show that I got into a little late, and I was just so impressed, and just so, so immersed in in just the brutality and the gruesomeness, and that's NBC's Hannibal. Now, if you haven't watched it, um, Mads Mikkelsen, who played Lashif 
in Casino Royale plays Hannibal Lecter. Um, Hugh Dancy plays Will Graham. And, um, you know, Lawrence Fishburne is in the series as well. And, um, you know, the, the thing is that the Hannibal TV series is incredibly violent, incredibly gruesome, incredibly bloody for a network television show. But the writing, the... Um, the sequences, just the deep storytelling is so impressive, so amazing that I was one of those people that really was concerned when they were talking about possibly um, taking Hannibal off the network because of ratings, etc. Because the show is so well done. Well, get this. They're going to be doing a Hannibal tie in cookbook. Uh, Brian Fuller confirmed this with Crave Online that the cookbook will be based on the um, Hannibal Lecter television series and it's going to include a lot of the dishes that you've seen in the series plus some recipes taken from the Thomas Harris novels as well. Now, before you cringe at the at the concept, you have to remember that Hannibal Lecter's dishes are still recognizable dishes that are served in five-star restaurants, but obviously without the human body part component, which um, has become a staple in the Hannibal Lecter series. Nonetheless, it's a very, very unique tie-in, but given the fact that they have a trained chef uh, consult on some of the dishes on the show, I am curious to see that, and I'd probably pick it up just because I know my way around the kitchen and I, and I love to cook. It's one of my one of my pastimes outside of gaming and all that other stuff. It's a personal fact. I figured I'd share. I, I, I do know my way around the kitchen uh, from baking bread to Spanish food, Japanese food, uh, some Greek food. I, I, I can get the job done. So I'm curious to see how uh, what dishes are included in the Hannibal Lecter book because there were some dishes that were shown in the TV series that before you found out they were made with people uh, definitely looked incredibly appetizing. So um, I'm curious for that. I'm not sure when they have that announced, but I will tell you that season two of Hannibal will be hitting stores on DVD and Blu-ray on September 16th. All right, so... This next bit of news is just so crazy, and right now it's it's kind of rumor, but kind of not, and it involves, get this, The Tick. Now, if you guys remember, The Tick was a cartoon on Fox 5, later adapted to a live-action show um, with Patrick Warburton playing the role of The Tick, of course, with his, ki- with his sidekick, Arthur, um, a crazy, crazy cartoon, an even crazier live-action series, but... It looks like we may be getting to, we may be getting the tick back courtesy of Amazon and Amazon Prime's instant video service. Uh, the original Tick series ran um, for nine episodes in 2001. Like I said, Patrick Warburton, who you may know from Seinfeld and Family Guy, was the Tick. Um, Nestor Carbonelli was Bat Manuel. Uh, Liz Vassie from All My Children was Captain Liberty, and David Burke was Arthur the Tick sidekick. Now, uh, right now, the rumors are that Patrick Warburton would reprise his role to do the Tick live-action series. I, I don't even know how I feel about that because the Tick. I used to watch it on Channel 5, the cartoon, and it was just so crazy, but so enjoyable that I really I really can't even say that I'm not intrigued by these news. It's crazy, it's out of left field, and it's so random, but for somebody like myself who enjoyed the cartoon, I'm so curious to see if Patrick Warburton still has the chops to pull the Tick character off. Uh, very interesting for sure, and once I know more, of course, I will be sharing it with you guys. All right. Let's talk box office totals. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy held on number one slot, 
$16.3 million, bringing its grand total to $274.6 million. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was at number two, earning 11.8, bringing its total to $162.4 million. If I Stay was number three, As Above, So Below was number four. Let's Be Cops was number five. The November Man was number six, which I actually want to see. Um, When the Game Stands Tall was number seven. The Giver was number eight. The hundred foot the hundred foot journey was number nine, and Expendables three earning three and a half million dollars, bringing its total to thirty three point one. Wow, what a dud! Uh, came in in the number ten slot. So definitely uh, a weird a weird weekend at the box office, and I don't really see anything big coming into theaters uh, for the next two weeks. So I definitely think that Guardians will continue uh, running roughshod over the competition probably into until late September, early October, but we shall see what happens. So this is uh, some sequel news or some remake or some reboot news, depending on how you take it. And I can't even believe this is being done. And the fact that it's been under my radar is, is, you know, something that's bothered me. So Starlog is reporting that Charlie Hunnam, who many of you may know from Sons of Anarchy or Pacific Rim, along with Dan Stevens and John Berthall are, are competing for the role of get this snake Pliskin in an escape from New York remake. The film is currently in early pre-production and there's been no director hired as of yet, but it looks like an Escape from New York remake is happening and those are the actors in consideration for the role of Snake Plissken. Obviously, it's very easy to say that Charlie Hunnam is a shoo-in, but you never know. Uh, Very interesting for sure. Um, None of the actors up for the role of Snake Plissken have read for the role, but an offer will be made any day now, according to Starlog. And right now, of course, Charlie Hunnam is in the lead now that Sons of Anarchy is is coming to a close. But it's unclear if a commitment that he has with Pacific Rim 2 will end up leaving him unavailable for the role. Plus, there's also a rumor that Charlie Hunnam is also up for a role in Guy Ritchie's adaptation of King Arthur. So you never know. The role of Snake Plissken can go to Dan Stevens or John Bernthal as well. So once we get more news, we will definitely share it with you guys. But an Escape from New York remake... I don't know about that, but we shall see what happens. All right. So I read this in the New York Daily News, and I'm sure uh, those of you that live here in New York City may have come across the story as well. And it involves Wesley Snipes possibly returning to reprise his role as Blade in another Blade sequel. Um, According to what they're saying, the sequel possibility is looking good, according to the Daily News. And Wesley Snipes is scheduled to be paid $3 million for the role. Now, obviously, it's easy to see that this would be a very unlikely possibility, but you also have to remember that Marvel did get the rights for Blade, and Blade is back under Marvel Studios. Um, You know, this would be his first film appearance after a two and a half year sentence for tax evasion right after The Expendables 3. So this would be pretty big. Not to say that his involvement in The Expendables wasn't big, but this would be... Uh, Wesley Snipes first leading role outside of the Expendables. Now the Expendables three is being considered a flop, but the blade character has always done Marvel. Well, now the only concern here is that Marvel's relationship with Disney may hamper the, the concept of making an R rated blade film. But I will say this, and I've said this before, I think Disney would be smart to create a Marvel Knights imprint 
for their more dark here for their darker heroes. I think this way it would allow them to put out some of the more R-rated or hard PG-13 films and really do something with those characters because I think the Blade films, especially the second film which was just tremendous, um, would benefit from being brought to the big screen and also existing in the unified Marvel Universe. The same thing applies to Ghost Rider, which also they got the film rights back for. Um, People are saying that the, the Wesley Snipes story doesn't have a lot of steam, but considering that the Daily News reported it and the fact that you could probably play, pay Wesley Snipes peanuts makes for a very, very strong case. Obviously, we will be watching this very, very, very closely. And once we get more news, of course, we will share it with you guys. Now, the last couple of new movie news I got to share with you guys the first, the first couple come out of the what the fuck movie news category, and that is Deadline is reporting that we are going to get a big screen version of the TV show Chips, which if you remember, followed the two motorcycle cops, um, John Baker and uh, Frank Poncharello, a.k.a. Ponch, played by Eric Estrada. Uh, John Baker was played by Larry Wilcox. Now, This big screen version of Chips, get this, is being written, directed, and starring Dax Shepard. And it's rumored that um, the character of Ponch will be played allegedly, take this with a grain of salt, originally they were talking about doing it with with Wilmer Valderrama as Ponch, but now I've been hearing... some different some different casting rumors. All I know is that Dax Shepard wants to bring chips to the big screen, and I don't know why. I mean, we tried getting Starsky and Hutch on the big screen. It was okay, and I say that with with a lot of hesitation because it was it was a mildly amusing, but it didn't need to be done. I mean, we already know that Starsky and Hutch, the Dukes of Hazard, they just they would ugh. it just it just wasn't it just wasn't great. But again. This is their attempts at trying to make this stuff relevant. For those of you that don't remember, Chips ran from 1977 to 1983 on NBC. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been out of the limelight for a long time. I'm not sure how good a Chips film would be, but who knows? Slick is giving me a little static in the chat room. He said the Starsky and Hutch movie was fucking funny. I think the only thing out of that movie that was mildly amusing was Snoop Dogg and, and to a degree, Vince Vaughn. Slick says the reason that, that that why they are trying with chips is because of Let's Be Cops. Yeah, but you know what's funny? Let's Be Cops was funny because of the guys that were involved. And, um, you know, Damon Wayans Jr. Is, is pretty funny. And the chemistry between those guys was, was great. Do I think lightning would strike twice? I don't know. I mean, think about it. We did get 21 Jump Street, which, of course, led to 22 Jump Street. But those films... I think 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street, they didn't, they realized that they couldn't take themselves seriously. If the Chips film follows that same, that same logic of just knowing what it is and not taking itself seriously, maybe it won't be a steaming pile of shit. But in all honesty, do we need another TV series adapted for the big screen? No. Are we going to continue to see it? Of course we are. But I'll say this. I don't I think probably one of my reasons why I'm not super excited is because I'm not a fan of Dak Shepard. I've never liked Dak Shepard. I think he sucks. Even the, the only time I moderately tolerated Dak Shepard was in Idiocracy, just because Idiocracy was such an over the top stupid movie that I was willing to let his 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 comedic shit slide. 
but I'm just not a fan, so maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm sharing this bit of news with you guys in such a dismissive manner, because I just can't fucking stand him. I can't. I can't. Everything he does, I'm just like, ugh, Dax Shepard is in this movie. Fuck that guy. But that's just me. So we got that. Now let's talk about this other bit of what the fuck movie news, which which is in the whitewashing category. Now you're probably saying, Rich, what are you talking about with whitewashing? Whitewashing is the term for films that are done with primarily ethnic characters or con- or primarily ethnic characters in the source material that are portrayed on screen by white actors. Now, um, let's uh, let's definitely bring Slick on board for this because this definitely is something worth discussing. So let me bring him in. Slick, what's up, brother? What's up, man? So... Before before we get your take on this, I want to talk about this. Now, the whitewashing I'm referring to is not just the film Exodus, which is based on the story of Moses with uh, Christian Bale and Joel Egerton. That is whitewashing in just the most blatant form. This particular bit of whitewashing involves a, a film, um, a story who, as soon as you hear it, you know that the characters need to be asian or japanese which however whatever ethnicity but they need to be of asian descent and that is ghost in the shell now for those of you that are familiar with that you know that ghost in the shell of course is is an anime um that pretty much everybody who is a hardcore anime fan knows all too well so it seems that they're going to plan on br- they want to bring a live action version of Ghost in the Shell to the big screen. Uh Rupert Sanders is ru- is pretty much a lock to direct the film, but the thing that kills me is that the protagonist major Motoko Kusanagi will be portrayed, well, I don't even I don't even think they're going to call her that based on who they're getting for this role and that is Margot Robbie. Now, if you've seen The Wolf on Wall Street, you will know Margot Robbie quite well. Uh, very attractive young lady, but not Asian, not even remotely Asian, about as white bread as can be. And with that, I want to toss it to Slick. Obviously, Slick, being an anime aficionado, probably even more so than myself, um, where do you stand with whitewashing, and how do you feel about this in particular? Well, you know I'm not a fan of whitewashing. Of course. This movie is a special case. One, because of the subject matter. Right. I, I still think no matter what you do, Margot Robbie is a, a, a terrible, terrible pick for the major. I agree. I mean, she's very pretty. Absolutely. But not the, ca- not the, not the, the major, person for that. She, she does not have the build to, to play the major. Right. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, first of all, you could get away with a white girl. Right. The simple fact that the character of uh, Otoko Kusanagi is, in terms of, you know, in terms of the physical person, the only organic part of her is her brain. Right. The rest of her body is taken from the title a shell. Right. So technically, you could pretty much use any girl, but she would kind of need a, a, a one bigger tits than Margot Robbie. Oh, Jesus. Two, <laughs> a very physical build because anybody who's seen at least the first Ghost in the Shell movie knows that chick fucks shit up hard. Right. Like she she took on a freaking tank by herself. Anybody who's seen the T V show knows that when she's pissed off she does insane things. She took a freaking 
a heavy sniper rifle that shoots like tank piercing shells and basically unloaded into a guy's chest at point blank range. Fun times. Because he blew her arm off. So she did this with one hand. See, this is... And, but the thing is, like, they could get away with... They could get away with somebody with a more physical build, simply because, for one thing, again, if, if for people who watch the show, the, the body itself could be anybody, because the... What's it ain't going deeper into the, the, the storyline, people that are really close to her are not even sure if the original major was a woman. Okay. Well, let me... Let me... But the rest of the team, the rest of the Section 18 is... Very, very aged. Okay. Well, let me let me interject a minute. And here's here's my issue with this. There are a decent supply of credible actresses who either have the physical presence or are Asian that can play the character. Now, obviously, it's very easy to or say. Both. Yeah, or both. It's very easy to say Devin Aoki. It's very easy to say uh, Lucy Liu. Um... You know, we could go down a list of, of actresses that are fully Asian, partly part Asian, that can play the role. But I also feel that when you take something like this, the same thing that we've discussed when, when we were talking about the big screen ad- adaptation of Akira, is the fact that while I understand that you want to cast some of these other actors and actresses to kind of yield you know, uh, a more mainstream response. A lot of times it, it you're picking actors and actresses who just just don't fit in the slightest. Now, I understand Margot Robbie, a highly, highly sought after actress after her work in Wolf on Wall Street. Um, but I will say this. Ghost in the Shell is a medium that is very, very cult-like. It's the same thing with Akira. You know what I mean? Like anime fans know it immediately. And the thing that gets me is, what made you decide, hey, let's just give this to Margot Robbie? You know what I mean? Like, did you do any research? Did you say, all right, who's out there that we could pitch it to first? Because honestly, I, I probably would have given it to Lucy Liu. I'll, I'll be frank when I say it. And it's not easy. It's not even just because, oh, she's, you know, she's she's Asian. Yeah, of course, that's the easy one. But Lucy Liu is also a physical actress. You know what I mean? She's done the more physical roles. I mean, we got duds like X versus Sever on that list, but we also got classics like Kill Bill on that list. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, man. It's it's craziness. But it, it just it just bothers me that Hollywood is so quick to whitewash. I mean, even that shitty ass Dragon Ball Z live action film. Whitewash like a motherfucker. Or let's talk about that shitty Street Fighter movie with the chick from Smallville. Another festering pile of shit. Whitewashed again. They, they don't even try sometimes. Seriously, how are you going to do a story about Moses in Egypt and the guy who plays the pharaoh is white? No, they've already <laughs> done that, Because, so. dude, I mean, yeah, you could say, well, Yul Brenner wasn't exactly super dark, but Yul Brenner was dark. It's ridiculous. But while I have you here... I'll uh, I'll share the last two uh, bits of entertainment news just to, to kind of pick your brain on it. The first is that DC loves cranking out TV series, and um, we already got Gotham, we got Constantine, we got The Flash, we got Arrow. Well, it looks like, according to E! Online, they're trying to do a TV series based on Supergirl. And I have a problem with this. 
Obviously, the show is pitched to the CW first. It's not going to be airing there, but they are shopping it around. Here's my issue. Uh, obviously, Supergirl got revamped during the New 52, has her own series, and whatever. It's okay, but the thing that bothers me is that, once again, the TV series will be separate from the cinematic universe, even though in the prequel comic to the Man of Steel movie, Supergirl's character, Kara Zor-El, did appear. With that said, where do you stand with this? Because, honestly, I don't even think Supergirl's rogues gallery is enough to fill up a, a show. Agree? Disagree? It's another case of not really trying to break it. It's, it's just really confusing trying to figure out what the hell, like, Warner Brothers and, and DC are trying to do. It's crazy. In terms of the, I'm not even going to say cinematic universe, just the, the screen presence. Yep, it's it's insane. It's so disjointed because, uh, you know, I mean, of course, your your views on Arrow aside, they're carving out a pretty decent television niche for characters that are essentially big players in the Justice League. You know what I mean? Like, when you look at the Justice League and most incarnations, yeah, we have the trinity of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, but there's always a Flash. There's always an incarnation of the Flash. Always. There's always a lantern, whether it's Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, John Stewart, etc., etc., etc. There's always a lantern. And Green Arrow is always involved in some capacity. And you've established these characters. It's crazy. Sometimes I get the feeling like they need to just give up on the live action shit and just stick with the the um the animated shows. Well, I, I I saw a debate on Twitter, and I kind of I was reading it. I didn't jump into it, but they were this guy put put up a post, and I read a little bit of it about why DC Cinematic Universe is destined for failure, and the reasoning is because they want to do it in such a grand scale that they can they put all their eggs into one basket. Like, think about it: you're doing Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. You've 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 only just now established Superman. But we're going to toss Batman, Wonder Woman, Cyborg, um, and Aquaman into the mix in the second film. Even if there are mild introductions, the same way Black Widow was introduced in Iron Man 2, that's a lot of fucking characters in one shot. Not even counting all the villains that they want to throw in there, and the rumors of Doomsday as well. Well, as far as that movie is concerned, I would like to just say let's wait and see, just because... I didn't have high hopes of Man of Steel. And I didn't I either. I really liking it. Yep, I, I mean, thought it was I, great. I didn't go as nuts for it as some people did, but I thought it was a really good movie. I and thought it was really good as well. I, I saw. I read an article earlier this week where this guy was like dooming the movie. It's like the movie's not even fucking out. How are you dooming the movie? You know what it is. I'm not dooming. I can see. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm not dooming the movie, but my concern is that the reason that the Avengers worked was because a lot of the characters were already established, so you knew how to utilize them and fit them into the puzzle. You get what I'm saying? When Avengers came out, we had one Thor film, we had an Iron Man film already in the works, or already on, you know, we had an Iron Man film already established, we had Captain America already established. You get what I'm saying? Like, it was already there. We had kind of the pieces. It was just about bringing them together. 
Now, in this case, you've established a cinematic universe with just Superman, yet you're going to tie in all these other characters immediately. And of course, Batman's story is self-explanatory. But Wonder Woman is an X-Factor. Aquaman is an X-Factor. Cyborg is an X-Factor. You get what I'm saying? Unless they do, like I said, and they use the Iron Man 2 approach, like they did with Black Widow, where it's brief, it's there, and it's just letting you know, hey, this character is going to have a bigger role. Well, I, I really think, I mean, considering they've already done two of them, that Wonder Woman definitely needs her own, yep. her own standalone movie. Absolutely. Aquaman could very much, as much as people make fun out of it, Aquaman could easily have a standalone movie. Uh, of course. Cyborg, not so much. Not so much. The Flash definitely yep. could have his own movie, but that would probably i would think that would have to be more of a comedic movie absolutely at least a little bit and there's that rumor that comedy's dead in the dc you know in the yes. DC movie universe absolutely well that's the that's the thing i'm saying like we we run into these crazy instances where i don't know if they're just afraid of of doing that because there there's the fear of being compared to marvel but i really honestly feel that dc should just hey uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery establish your universe with individual characters then bring them together for something big no one's going to hate you for it if the movies are good am I right? yes yeah, and especially I feel that John Jones needs his own movie because not a lot of people will necessarily know who the fuck the Martian Manhunter is exactly. and if you're going by Smallville that was done horribly. Yep. There's a rumor that they want Benedict Cumberbatch to play the Martian Manhunter. Take that with a grain of salt. That's just something I read in a, on, on a couple of different sites over the last few days. But, again, are we going to see the Martian Manhunter in this movie, too? Because, seriously, how much are we going to cram in there? Like, Man of Steel was good because there was a lot of, of nods. You know what I mean? A lot of little subtle Easter eggs that you had to, you had to really pay attention to. Like, seeing the Wayne Corp satellite. And the, you know, and the, you know, seeing the Wayne Enterprises satellite and the LexCorp trucks, you know, you started seeing that. You're like, okay, I see what they're doing. I see what they're doing. And, and it was good, but it's like, all right, let's, let's, let's do a little bit more with Superman. The problem is that they know, and it pains me to admit it, that Superman is incredibly one dimensional. The only time Superman's interesting is when he's fucking shit up. The only thing that's really interesting about Superman is. Either when he has to, to fight a character that's on his level of strength, yep. or when you have a polar opposite like Lex Luthor. That's it. Otherwise, meh. <laughs> so, the last bit of movie news, and we'll wrap things up, is a uh, big screen adaptation of Shadow of the Colossus. It looks like they're going to get the director from that film Mama, the horror movie, um, Andres Muschietti. He is going to be directing Shadow of the Colossus. Sony announced that he will helm the adaptation. Uh, Seth Lockheed will be writing the script under Machete's supervision. Barbara Machete will be producing alongside Kevin Mishler. Now, obviously, for those of you that don't know, Shadow of the Colossus uh, takes place in a huge, epic-scaled world with mythic beasts and disembodied spirits. And, of course, a young man attempts to save his lost love by accomplishing this seemingly impossible task of destroying the Colossus who roamed the Forbidden Land. Of course, the video game was published by Sony for the PS2 and has received tons of critical acclaim. How do you feel about this? I think that if it, with, the, with the special effects that are out nowadays, it would be amazing to see on screen, but 
the story is already laid out for you. I'm just concerned that they'll take some liberties with it. Where do you stand? I think that it would fail only because they wouldn't do it the way it would need to be done. And the way it would need to be done is that it would need to be a quote-unquote silent film. <laughs> what I mean is, obviously, I mean, if anybody's played the game, you know, just from the very first Colossus, when this guy puts his club down, you're going to expect that to make a lot of fucking noise, especially in an the IMAX theater. Right. But otherwise, what I'm saying is, other than monsters roaring and grunting when you stab them, the characters should not speak. Okay. Interesting take because, on it. I mean, the, the only voice you should hear should be the um, the disembodied voice of a demon that's, that's guiding the kid. Okay. Dark Helmet says Guillermo del Toro should direct it. I kind of agree. <laughs> that would be fantastic. It would be. Because he has a... Even just from... What's her name? From... Pan's Labyrinth. I was about to say like that. The creatures in that in that movie have the kind of look, like just that yep. vacant look in their eye that a lot of the Colossi had. I agree. I think I think Guillermo del Toro would have been a better fit. Um, I you know it's weird that they want to bring this to the big screen. There's so many Sony properties out there that you could bring to the big screen, but it's weird that Shadow of the Colossus would be the one they go with. But to each his own. Um, Again, right now, it's starting to come together, and as soon as we hear, of course, as soon as we hear more, we will share it with you. Anything else you want to add? If I were, yeah, if I were making that movie, I would get a no-name, you know, like, decently built, like, maybe somewhere between 18 and 25-year-old dude. Right. You know, teach him to ride a horse, tell him, listen, you're not saying shit in this entire movie. <laughs> and have one or two like I would hire like maybe ten other people for the whole movie like because you know obviously there's there's the the um the people dispatched by the the kingdom to chase him down and shit right. and then like I said there's the disembodied voice other than that I would hire I can't I would hire like the Philharmonic and the the real cast of the movie aside from the you know the, the giant monsters would be the music okay I, I, it, I, it would just be like fantastic music through the whole fucking thing like Fantasia type shit and I, I like that just approach this kid fucking shit up I like that approach, but my, my concern is that going that route, I mean, there's it's similar to the way Sin City was done. A lot of it was all CGI and, and just a minimal cast, but I probably would use this opportunity to establish a large-scale epic, and while Guillermo del Toro would be great, the only other person I would probably use would be Peter Jackson because he has a great understanding, and I would have Guillermo del Toro consult on it much like he's done with The Hobbit. And I think the, the combined force of those two guys would create an amazing film. I also feel that the narrative, I would probably minimalize the dialogue, but I would, I would personally add more dialogue to it because you want to kind of have some sort of artistic merit. I mean, don't get me wrong. The beginning of Up from Disney Pixar was, was completely silent except for the music and, um, you know, incredibly, incredibly emotional when you see it. Um, you can say the same thing for, you know, films like Wally, which they had, they didn't get dialogue till later on. Wally's dialogue was all beeps, you know, same thing with, with Eve's dialogue. And in that instance, I can see where that works, 
but I would probably add a little something just to kind of flesh it out, you know? Unless you want to have well, a, a narrator. You have, like, the, the group that's chasing after him. They obviously would speak, and the, the, the demon would speak. Right. But the kid would not speak. Okay. So you want to make the kid mute? No. No, I'm just saying, it's like... Just that, like I said, for anybody who's played the game, the, your character is silent. no speaking lines at all. I mean... He obviously, you know, grunts, screams, and shit. Like, he can speak. Right. It's just that throughout the game, he has nothing to say. I would probably, just to kind of make that, to to pitch that better, I would probably make him mute. Just because it would add yeah, a different... I mean, that can work, too. You can add just a different layer, and it's just, it, it kind of gives you a little bit of creative freedom, you know? But other than that, I would use the overall plot for the game, because the plot for the game is pretty fucking well done. <laughs> you don't need to do much, you know? But the reason why I really even more so agree with, with um, Dark Helmet is because if you did that right, if you did a movie like that right, like the way I'm thinking of doing it, right, you could easily get a sequel out of it and do Eco. Wow. Very good. That's the, I didn't think of that. Eco, I mean, doesn't really have... It has a lot of monsters in it, but they're completely faithless and... I mean, if Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro did something like that, that shit would be, like, really fucking creepy. I agree. I think I think that would definitely be cool to see. Well, we shall see what happens. Really, Shadow of the Colossus, which came out second, is really the prequel to Eco. Right, right, right. I do remember that. I mean, you know, um, I it, it, it's, it's definitely something we're going to need to watch very carefully because... Like you said, and like Dark Helmet alluded to, it's one of those things that the 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 possibility for it to be great is there. But if you ruin it, you know, if if you fuck it up, it nobody's gonna nobody's gonna benefit. You know, right? That's that's part of why for the main character, I would use an unknown because you use somebody that's even remotely famous, and you tell him that he's not not gonna have any speaking lines. Him, like fuck you, right? I agree. Well, I, I it's one of those things where it it it's going to be a very interesting thing to see because again, we've talked about gaming films coming to the big screen whether it's Halo or any other film and there's always the 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 fear and the apprehension that they would just bomb terribly and you know, it hasn't fared movies like that haven't fared well. So I'm curious to see if something that's such an artistic medium will translate well to film. I'm curious. I mean, you could probably get something along the lines of The Life of Pi with a story like that if it's done right and, and, and be incredible. Well, I would really sit with, like... Um, Go ahead. You know, like the the film festival, the independent film festival first. Right. Let it get some buzz through that and then bring it to theaters. Because then you'd have all these people like, oh, wow, that movie was fantastic, blah, 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 sucking it off and everything, and then everybody will want to see it. There you have it. Well, we shall see what happens. Anything else you want to add, my friend? No, I'm good. All right, my dude. I appreciate your contributions as always. All right, bro. All right, man. Talk to you later. Peace. Peace. That was our very own Slick. You can find him on Twitter at MTR Slick. And, of course, you can find his content on Rageworks and My Take Radio. And, of course, you can always interact with him on our Facebook fan pages as well. Anyway, let's wrap it up and take it home we went a little bit over about a half hour but it's all good we'll we'll let's enjoy these long form shows for the time being in any case let's take it home shall we you've just heard my take radio episode 241 
which broadcasted live Thursday, September 4th, 2014. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me, mtrhost, at mytakeradio.com. You can also you can also use our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. You can leave a voicemail message there if you don't want to send an email. And if you want it played on air, we can do that. Or if not, of course, make sure to specify that in your message. Uh, to get the best My Take Radio experience, you can pick up the official My Take Radio app, available for iOS, Android, and Windows mobile devices. For iOS, of course, you can find us on iTunes. For Android, you can find us in the Amazon Marketplace. And for Windows, you can find us in the Windows mobile store. Again, it's $1.99. It gives you full access to 96K stereo episodes of the show, plus exclusive content, mobile wallpapers, and a ton of other stuff as well. All right, on behalf of myself, Slick, Ben, Jay, the Buried Boys, Andrea, Josh, and the rest of the My Take Radio family. I will catch you guys next week. As always, thanks for listening, and make sure to follow My Take Radio on Twitter. Become a fan on Facebook. Check out our circles on Google+, or follow our boards on Pinterest. All right, guys, time to get out of here. I will catch you guys next week. Peace. We're going to go out with a little bit of Artificial Fear this week. Of course, you can find Artificial Fear on YouTube or at ArtificialFear.com. Make sure to check out those links in the show notes. Catch you guys next week.